The following program is intended for mature audiences. job you're doing. Boy, what a good reputation. Thank you very much, Gary. You're listening to the Martian Revelation. Strap in tight. Go to www.thefacesofmars.com That's www.thefacesofmars.com According to a new report in the New York Times, the U.S. government may have physical evidence of, and we're quoting, off-world vehicles not made on this earth. Surely the days of the great Martian revelation are upon us. Yes. 
All these commies and American traitors in our midst trying to destroy our nation, steal our hopes and dreams and our American heritage and our place in space. We must eradicate these pesty vermin. Well, good evening, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and all you ETs out there in the bite waves of the Internet, and wherever you're at down through time monitoring this show. I'm Gary Lashia, the Mars Revealer, known also as the Mad Martian, and I would like to welcome you all to the Martian Revelation that is upon you all again now. Welcome to the Bazaar. And today is December 26th of 2020. Merry Christmas, everybody. Or the 27th, depending upon your time zone, is this ass through time. And you're listening to this broadcast through Global Enlightenment Radio Network and also through the Martian Revelation Show YouTube stream live at www.thefacesofmars.com. That's www.thefacesofmars.com. That's right, which everyone knows your defense for the war which we all fight against the evil dark mission is. We're all leading you away from the light and the truth and manipulating you all instead to help you open your wallets and your pocketbooks to only join their dark side in special clubs and their special subscriptions that only allows them more power to continue to mislead you all and to steal you all away from the truth that they themselves not wish to face or even admit to. Hell, let alone even talk about. Yeah, UFO Diaries. Faces on Mars. Cover-up controversy. Down through time. Huge conspiracy. It is a conspiracy. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) That's right, but the Martian Revelation is, however, 100% listener-supported, with no special clubs or any special subscriptions to join. So if you're a listener, please help support the Martian Revelation Show again, which is your only defense for that war which we all fight against the evil dark mission is. <laughs> and we're working with the goal each week to bring you the truth one show at a time. The only so joint please share the faith that war which we all fight against. against the- I must ask you all, though, that you please donate to the show with anything that you could afford by clicking on the big red, white, and blue American Donate button at the top of the show page to allow it to continue being here for you down through time. As it is because of you, the listener, of which makes the Martian Revelation possible to be brought to you all back through time. So this is to help truth. This is to help free speech. This is to help research. This is to help get to the heart of the issues of which concerns all of us in our world today. And thank you very much for those who have donated the past couple of weeks. We definitely appreciate it here. Anything that you could afford, hey, you know what? It all adds up, and it just shows your care and effort because someone's got to. That's what it will take. But it will be even better to get the majority of you on board to face what it is of what's coming to us via the March of Revelation, pun intended. So your listenership and your donation support actually counts, and it helps us all not only fight, but to win against those evil dark missioners, <laughs> as well as to secure a future which we all could literally make the Martian revelation our reality. By what? By making our fate. But you know how else you can help make our fate? Is by advertising or sponsoring this show. You could advertise your business, your products, your books, whatever it is that you would like to advertise. Or even if you have a message that you would like to have advertised on this show, heard all around the world, and kept in the archives as well, where it will always be heard. And those archives are hit constantly. But no special clubs or special subscriptions. So if you'd like to advertise on this show, sponsor it.
You especially need to jot this down, MarsRevealer at gmail.com, MarsRevealer at gmail.com. That's my email. And using that email address of MarsRevealer at gmail.com, you can send me messages, questions, music, or artwork, or guest requests, or even if you wish to request to be a guest, or anything else that you would like to speak to me about. Especially if it has to do with any old yet new image data showing other faces of Mars taken by the Viking orbiters from 1976-82 that was seen in a video that's also seen on the facesofmars.com page called UFO Diaries. Yeah, UFO Diaries. Cydonia, Discover the Earth-Mars Connection. It's only a 22-minute long video, and you'd be very surprised to see who's more than two-thirds of it. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. It was also the same person who encouraged me years ago to investigate into these images and into that video. And the dude is serious legwork, because I'm just too swamped at present. That was his exact words. Now, down through time, we're more acclimated. We understand what that means. What's Trump trying to drain now in the Patriots? The swamp. The dark side, the bad guys, the controllers, the ones that want to keep us down on the farm. So Hoagland was telling us in code back then, he was too swamped at present. He's part of the swamp, which does not want the secrets out. Again, and upon my follow-up investigations and that, getting to the producers. The fascination of the faces on Mars for me and, and, uh, and my fascination with Richard Hoagland, who's been the, the big mover and shaker and all of that. The investigation led back to him, and then all of a sudden he wanted to stop to derail it, not just derail it, but try to derail me, to destroy my life, and this show, <laughs> to prevent you all from seeing and knowing about the truth, or even just asking questions, no matter what still the truth is, questions need to be asked and answered, to get to the truth, not what you think you know, or what you think you want to know, or what you think the answers are, or to steer people in a certain way, to think the way that you do, while asking for special clubs and special subscriptions, <laughs> and not allowing what the people would really want to ask, basic questions to get the truth of? Well, I'm suspicious. Uh, we got him from Hoagland, we got him from NASA, and there you are. I mean, one of them's going to say, yeah, those are ours. Which are our pictures. It led back to him. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. When I say NASA, I want to be very clear. I'm NASA and you're not. And that's what the acronym stands for. The great mystery at this point seems to be if the Enterprise mission and its colleagues can find all this and so much more. Then why can't NASA? Or is there something more? Is it possible that they have seen what we have seen and also understand what's really there, but have a reason to keep silent? He says to stop further investigation into mysterious pictures. Damn it, are you fucking with me? Mr. Hoagland says they are evidence of intelligent life. You, you, you need to get more down in the weeds and look at some of the weird stuff going on behind the scenes around those faces of mars that are seen in that video are not seen in any nasa public archive especially for viking as it literally took me a year and a half to process the viking orbiter archives and they're not in them but the thing is long story short the producers charles e sellier of once grizzly adams productions god rest his soul and the lee eric shackleford had stated that richard hoagland provided those images 
I mean, Mr. Sellier in an email wrote to me, too. These files came from Richard Hoagland. Why would he be needing them from us? Especially after all this time, I add. Since that video was made, it was released in 93. That means Hoagland provided them with those images before 93, at least. You know, a lot of people will think that your conspiracy theories make you stark raving mad. Well, I'm suspicious. I'm NASA and you're not. <laughs> so check out that video and check out the faces, images that are in that video that I'm on the hunt for. So if you're someone who works on the inside that knows about these images. The faces on Mars. Or has access or knows the information that could guide us to where they are. <laughs> you can remain anonymous. Your anonymity will be respected and upheld. And we all respect you and commend your nuts for doing so in advance. I could be and will be your public sector. You could remain all of our private sector. Or even if you have any other knowledge of any other, even modern space imagery that shows very implicating things that we the people have a right to see and to know about and that we should know about, about what's really not just on Mars but anywhere in space. Even if you're for an international space agency who hears this show, which I know they do, especially in Russia and Europe, the commie Chinese, I don't want none of you. But I encourage the rest of you all also to email me at marsrevealer at gmail.com. Again, that's marsrevealer at gmail.com. And just remember also that if you're listening to this Martian Revelation show, then know this, that you are the resistance down through time. We got a cool show for you all tonight. We're going to have Doc Skinner on the show. And he's going to be talking about some interesting things and a film effort he's doing underway. But until then, let's get into some news. Listeners of this show could appreciate that there are those who are thinking of how to get people from Earth to Mars and safely back again from December 23rd. There are many things humanity must overcome before any return journey to Mars is launched. The two major players are NASA and SpaceX, which work together intimately on missions to the International Space Station, but have competing ideas of what a crewed mission would look like. Of course, Elon Musk has the balls-out vision to get those big effing rockets up there and out there as fast as possible, while NASA continues on with a turtleneck-snail-pay-speed policy agenda that prevents us and gives our enemies a lead in this race. But let's get back to the article. But the biggest challenge or constraint is the mass of the payload. The spacecraft, people, fuel, supplies, etc. needed to make the journey. We still talk about launching something into space being like launching its weight in gold. The payload mass is usually just a small percentage of the total mass of the launch vehicle. For example, the Saturn V rocket that launched Apollo 11 to the moon weighed 3,000 tons. But it could launch only 140 tons, which is only 5% of its initial launch mass, to low Earth orbit, and 50 tons, less than 2% of its initial launch mass, to the moon. Mass constrains the size of a Mars spacecraft and what it could do in space. But every maneuver costs fuel to fire rocket motors, and this fuel must currently be carried into space on the spacecraft. SpaceX's plan for its crewed Starship Big Effing Rocket Vehicle to be refueled in space by a separately launched fuel tanker, which is a great idea. They just sun the bunch up there. But that means much more fuel can be carried into orbit than can be carried on a single launch. Exactly. Another challenge intimately connected with fuel is time. 
missions that send spacecraft with no crew to the outer planets often travel complex trajectories around the sun. They use what are called gravity assist maneuvers to effectively slingshot around different planets to gain enough momentum to reach their target. This saves a lot of fuel but can result in missions that take years to reach their destinations. Clearly this is something humans would not want to do. Both Earth and Mars have almost circular orbits and a maneuver known as the Hohmann transfer is the most fuel efficient way to travel between two planets. Basically, without going into too much detail, this is where a spacecraft does a single burn into an elliptical transfer orbit from one planet to the other. A Hohmann transfer between Earth and Mars takes around 259 days, between 8 and 9 months, and it's only possible approximately every two years due to differing orbits around the Sun of Earth and Mars. A spacecraft could reach Mars in a shorter time. SpaceX is claiming six months, but you guessed it, it would cost more fuel to do it that way. Suppose our spacecraft and crew get to Mars. The next challenge is landing. A spacecraft entering Earth is able to use the drag generated by interaction with the atmosphere to slow it down. This allows the craft to land safely on the Earth's surface, provided that it could survive the related heating. But the atmosphere on Mars is about 100 times thinner than Earth's. That means less potential for drag, so it is impossible to land safely without some kind of aid. Some missions have landed on airbags, such as NASA's Pathfinder mission, while others have used thrusters, NASA's Phoenix mission, and the latter once again requires more fuel. A Martian day lasts 24 hours and 37 minutes, but the similarities with Earth stop there. The thin atmosphere on Mars means that it cannot retain heat as well as Earth does, so life on Mars is characterized by large extremes in temperature during the day-night cycle. Mars has a maximum temperature of 30 degrees, which sounds quite pleasant, but I will interject that it has also been known to be a balmy 70 degrees. Again, it depends where you are on the planet and when. But its minimum temperature is minus 140, and its average temperature is minus 63. I guess it depends where you are and where its orbit is, like here on Earth. But the average winter temperature at the Earth's south pole is about minus 49. So we need to be very selective about where we choose to live on Mars and how we manage temperature during the night. The gravity on Mars is 38% of Earth, so you'd feel lighter, but the air is principally carbon dioxide with several percent of nitrogen, so it's completely unbreathable. Don't forget, they're leaving out. Listeners of this show can appreciate also the oxygen that is there. It does have oxygen, all right? Maybe not large mass quantities, but it is there. But we would need to build a climate-controlled place just to live there. Yes, you would. But don't use that as a fear tactic. But SpaceX plans to launch several cargo flights, including critical infrastructure, such as greenhouses, solar panels, and you guessed it, a fuel production facility for return missions to Earth. And I would say for use for other benefits there, especially heating issues and shit like that. But life on Mars would be possible, and several simulation trials have already been done on Earth to see how people would cope with such an existence. The final challenge is the return journey and getting people safely back to Earth. And I will add, if you want to, remember, they're going there to colonize. NASA plans on only going and sending, what, a, two or three people? Five? Give me a break. 
But Apollo 11 entered Earth's atmosphere at about 40,000 kilometers an hour, which is just below the velocity required to escape Earth's orbit. Spacecraft returning from Mars will have reentry velocities from 47,000 kilometers an hour to 54,000 kilometers an hour, depending on the orbit they use to arrive at Earth. They can slow down into low orbit around Earth to around 28,800 kilometers an hour before entering our atmosphere, but you guessed it, they need extra fuel to do that. If they just barrel into the atmosphere, it will do all of the deceleration for them. We just need to make sure that we don't kill the astronauts with G-forces or burn them up due to excess heating. These are just some of the challenges facing a Mars mission and all of the technological building blocks to achieve this are there. We just need to spend the time and the money and bring it all together. Well, again, don't count on NASA to do that. But again, get behind Elon Musk with the big effing rockets. He's got a bigger, better vision. But in a way, this next article kind of relates to my opinion. And this is from December 15th. As hibernating lemurs may be the key to cryogenic sleep for human space travel. Science fiction is shifting into reality. With humanity's plans to return to the moon this decade and further ambitions to travel to Mars in the next. Again, NASA's turtlenecks now pay speed policy agenda at work. We need to figure out how to keep astronauts healthy for these years long missions. One solution long championed by science fiction is suspended animation or putting humans in a hibernation-like sleep for the duration of travel time. We could turn to nature for guidance and a potential solution to this challenge. Space is unforgiving. In this freezing void of darkness, there is no oxygen, no gravity, and no protection against the constant shower of cosmic radiation. Humans have evolved under a constant gravitational pull, so when you put people into space, strange and dangerous things happen to their bodies. However, scientists and engineers working with astronauts on the International Space Station have innovated and continue to address these problems. For example, we know that spaceflight leads to loss of muscle and bone density, since our bones and muscles do not need to work against the pull of gravity to move us around. But we still do not know how to address other space-related medical issues, including immune system alterations, problems with vision and bombardment with hazardous cosmic radiation. These physiological challenges are combined with the technological difficulties of sending multiple humans on these long missions where they face logistical complications of packing and allocating enough provisions and supplies, as well as social issues of coping with extreme isolation in deep space. Suspended animation in biostasis may elicit science fiction images of humans in cryosleep pods. If we could put humans in a state of suspended animation by greatly slowing or even fully halting metabolic activity, we could alleviate issues surrounding space travel, time, health concerns, spacecraft size, and supply allocation. But how can we safely ease humans into hibernation and then bring them back when the time is right without risking muscle and bone wasting to name a few challenges? These are questions that the United States Department of Defense and other space agencies are actively exploring. 
Animals who spend the winter in states of suspended animation, hibernation, don't experience significant muscle and bone wasting. Their existence and ability to reversibly turn off biological processes seemingly necessary for life may well hold the key to creating the conditions required for the human hibernation strategy that could pave our way to surviving long interstellar voyages to distant stars. In fact, the use of biostasis has already been proposed for the transport of large numbers of travelers to Mars, where crew members will be sustained with specially formulated total nutrition liquids while they sleep. How do we translate hibernation in animals to hibernation in humans? Recent work has uncovered such an ability in animals that are evolutionary similar to humans, hibernating primates. What is unique about these primates is that they can enter a state of hibernation when resources are scarce and temperature becomes cold and do so without seriously dropping their body temperature. One of the driving forces behind this extreme ability is microRNAs, short pieces of RNA that act as molecular gene silences. MicroRNAs can regulate gene expression without altering the genetic code itself. By studying the microRNA strategy these animals use, we can exploit this genetic on-off switch for rapid reversible changes that could aid hibernation in humans. Again, you know, you're going to need to modify humanity in some type of way as we go to the stars genetically and whatnot. So in a way, that's where that's going. But those are good ideas and things to do. But our work on gray mouse lemurs shows how microRNAs control which biological processes remain on to protect the animal and which ones are switched off to save energy. Some of these microRNAs were found to combat muscle wasting during hibernation. Other roles seems to involve preventing cell death, slowing down or stopping unnecessary cell growth, and switching fuel stores from quickly consumed sugars to slower burn fats. While the microRNAs are a promising avenue of research, they are just one piece of the puzzle. Our lab is also looking into other aspects of how primates hibernate, such as how these lemurs protect their cells from stress, cold, control global gene levels, and how they store enough energy to survive hibernation. But our lab also looks at how microRNAs are helping animals survive other extreme environmental stresses, including freezing, oxygen deprivation, and hot, dry climates. There is no stress more extreme than the vacuum of space, and we hope our research will continue to the new RNA-based interventions that are gaining attention and emerging as viable human therapeutics. Space is within our reach, and studying what's already on Earth will help get us there. Okay. That is commendable and admirable. But the race is on. And speaking of the race being on, let's detail the antics of Elon Musk of the big effing rockets for the SpaceX Starship prototype SN8 that exploded not too long ago, but it's still a giant leap toward Mars. Let's get into this. Private company SpaceX launched SN8, a prototype of its Starship Big Effing Rocket spacecraft designed to go to the moon and Mars on December 10th. Its short flight attracted a great deal of attention for its final few seconds before landing when it exploded. But consider the near-perfect totality of its six-and-a-half-minute flight. Look at the groundbreaking technology and maneuvers involved. It is reasonable to view this as a hugely successful test. 
ordinary spacecraft to return to the Earth by using the aerodynamic drag in the atmosphere to slow their reentry. Decelerating from 20,000 miles per hour dissipates a lot of heat, which is why they carry heat shields, and the final touchdown is controlled by parachutes. The actual rocket engines don't make a safe landing. They burn up and crash into the sea. This is a real waste of resources. SpaceX's founder and CEO Elon Musk is instead trying to reuse as much of the spacecraft as possible. If your ultimate destination is the moon and onward to Mars, this makes a lot of sense because you can much more easily refuel at judicious locations along the way than build a new rocket. Starship is a fully reusable rocket system designed to carry 100 tons of cargo into Earth orbit and beyond. It has a booster first stage which propels it into orbit and separates. The booster stage is designed to land safely and to be reused. SpaceX figured out how to do this with the Falcon rocket, but that's only two-thirds of the system. With the Starship Big Effing Rocket, the third of the system that helps propel the spacecraft further than Earth orbit is never ejected. Landing the first stage booster is easy because it is ejected two minutes after launch and therefore returns to Earth from a relatively low altitude, never reaching super high speeds. NASA defines high hypersonic speed as a Mach number from 10 to 25. The booster only reaches about Mach 6. Starship itself will be returning from orbit, reaching Mach 25. At this speed, the heat of reentry will melt the engines off. You therefore need a substantial heat shield which dissipates 99% of the energy, protecting the cargo and those all-important rockets that you need for landing. NASA's partially reusable space shuttle had huge wings which were used to glide the vehicle onto a runway, but wings are heavy and they reduce the potential payload capacity. Also, they won't work on Mars and the Moon because there's a lack of atmosphere and runways. The ingenuity of Starship Big Effing Rocket is that it just belly flops all the way down, a type of free fall in which the atmosphere gradually slows down its speed. As it nears the ground, it should be slow enough for a short flip and landing burn to touch down softly on the pad. No other vehicle flies like this on purpose. Planes are designed to keep the airflow attached to the wings to provide lift. If you lose that airflow, you fall out of the sky, a condition called stall. The Starship Big Effing Rocket enters the atmosphere at a 90-degree angle. That means it is fully stalled. Just as a leaf flutters to the ground, this is an inherently unstable configuration, and the aerodynamics are impossible to predict. This is where active control comes in. The Starship Big Effing Rocket has four flaps, and they're used just as a skydiver uses four arms to control freefall. With the SN8 test flight, SpaceX has shown that it's possible to control a belly flop. The drop from 12.5 kilometers gave SpaceX the conditions of the last half of a return back from orbit. SpaceX will have gathered flight data that allows it to know how the aerodynamics of a belly flop work. In particular, it will know how well the flaps work and how precisely to keep the craft stable and land it on target. We can see on the videos released by SpaceX that the flaps are under good control. This looks like great news for SpaceX. Being fully reusable, Starship Big Effing Rocket should work out far cheaper than conventional single-use craft, but it's a tricky business to work out exactly how much fuel you need to carry. Conventional aircraft always takes off with a bit of fuel to spare, but they can always make an emergency landing if they miscalculate. Rockets need to launch with an enormous amount of fuel just to be sure you have enough for the landing. 
It's like going on a 14-day camping trip and spending 13 days carrying the water for your last day. It's likely that the tank for SN8 was almost completely empty when it came in to land. The amount of fuel you need is given by the rocket equation. This shows that if you want to launch 100 tons of payload to the moon at a speed of 12,000 meters per second, you need a staggering 2,000 tons of fuel. When it comes to the type of fuel, it's interesting that kerosene and hydrogen, as used by Apollo 11, are still the most popular rocket fuels around. The laws of physics and chemistry haven't changed very much in 50 years. But the Starship Big Effing Rocket is actually pioneering the use of methane as a fuel, and despite it being harder to work with, it gives a bit more thrust. And perhaps more importantly, there's plenty of methane on Mars, which is obviously the ultimate destination for SpaceX. So why did SN8 crash? You can see in the video some green flashes just before the landing. The engines are made with copper, which burns with the characteristic green flame. SpaceX says that there was a problem with the fuel pressure just at the last moment, meaning that the rocket couldn't slow down. The resulting excess oxygen started burning up the engines themselves. If it weren't for the last few seconds, then the landing could have been perfect. Engineers will now be looking to fix that problem for SS9. So that should be amazing to see once that demonstration takes place. Which kind of segues to the next article. Because if other things were being used also to utilize in the big effing rockets, I would say maybe it could be nuclear, or should be. But NASA supports America's national strategy for space nuclear power and propulsion from December 17th. President Donald Trump has issued a new space policy directive that will help propel NASA and humanity's next giant leap, creating a sustainable presence on the moon and sending astronauts to Mars. The president issued Space Policy Directive 6, the nation's strategy for space nuclear power with propulsion. Wednesday, December 16th, space nuclear systems power spacecraft for missions where alternative power sources are inadequate such as environments that are too dark for solar power or too far away to carry sufficient quantities of chemical fuels. Space nuclear systems include radioisotope power systems and nuclear reactors used for power, heating, or propulsion. Space Policy Directive 6, or SPD-6, establishes high-level goals, principles, and a supporting roadmap that demonstrate the United States' commitment to using... Space Nuclear Power and Propulsion, or SNPP, system safely, effectively, and responsibly. NASA strongly supports the White House's continued leadership on the agency's Artemis program, which includes landing the first woman and next man on the moon in 2024. At the moon, we will prepare for new science and human missions deeper into the solar system, said NASA Administrator Jim Bridenstein. Again, I'm not such a big fan of Artemis, only a couple few people. And uh, what needs to be being sent there is Elon Musk, big effing rockets that could carry 100 tons, really 150 tons, and as well as 100 astronaut crew. In support of the SPD-6, NASA's near-term priority is to mature and then demonstrate a fission surface power system on the moon. NASA, the Department of Energy and Industry, will design, fabricate, and test a 10-kilowatt-class fission surface power system. NASA plans to demonstrate the system on the moon in the late 2020s, providing power for sustainable lunar surface operations and testing its potential for use on Mars. 
The space agency is also advancing nuclear thermal and nuclear electric propulsion capabilities. Nuclear propulsion can enable robust human exploration beyond the moon. For crewed missions to the Red Planet, the traditional chemical propulsion system would require a prohibitively high propellant mass. In addition to reducing risk and maturing reactor designs, NASA is part of an effort with the Department of Energy and Department of Defense to develop technologies and nuclear fuel production capabilities for propulsion systems. SPD-6 establishes the following principles. The United States will pursue goals for SNPP development and utilization that are both enabling and ambitious. Develop capabilities that enable production of fuel suitable to a range of planetary surface and in-space SNPP applications. Demonstrate efficient power system on the moon. Establish technical foundations and capabilities that will enable options for in-space nuclear propulsion and to develop advanced radioisotope power systems to enable survivable surface systems and extend robotic exploration of the solar system. The United States will adhere to principles of safety, security, and sustainability in its development and utilization of SNPP systems. The United States will pursue a coordinated roadmap for federally supported SNPP activities and a framework to encourage commercial activities to achieve goals and uphold the principles established in the directive. Again, that's all good and nice, and these various technologies are needed and need to be applied immediately because this is not a joke and it is not a game. The race is on, and we are at war, albeit a cold war that seems to be growing much hotter, and the race for space to, to control it in order to control the Earth is well underway. And in the meantime, we're in competition for that high ground to secure by the commie Chinese. And from December 21st, as there's an article that states the mission accomplished, now on to the next. The Chang'e 5 lunar mission has been declared a complete success after the re-entry capsule carrying rocket soil samples from the moon landed safely in the designated area early on Thursday. Congratulations to all those who have participated in and contributed to this groundbreaking accomplishment. Again, pointing a finger at us and spitting at us. This is no doubt a solid step forward for the indigenous space industry and potentially of great significance internationally. Yeah, no shit. There's the finger pointing at us. And lead I mentioned what finger that is. But during the mission, Tangy 5 accomplished a series of firsts for the country's space program. First collecting of samples from the moon, takeoff from surface of the moon, docking in lunar orbit and returning with samples, and the spacecraft's return marked the first time scientists have obtained fresh samples of lunar rocks since 1976. It has put the perfect finishing touch to the Chinese Lunar Exploration Trilogy of orbiting, landing, and returning. This race is heating up, and these technological abilities that are being proven should cause awe and also fear in the we the people. Meanwhile, as the most complicated systems engineering ever attempted by the domestic space industry, it has reportedly achieved a series of key technological innovations and breakthroughs that will greatly facilitate future lunar and interstellar missions. It was therefore a mission of milestone significance, one that represented a great step forward for China's space industry, as President Xi Jinping, our commie enemy, said in a statement, read out at the Beijing Aerospace Control Center. 
Industry insiders say it is comparable to that of the country's 1970s success in sending its first-ever man-made satellite into space, which announced the dawn of the space age in China. The Chang'e 5 mission means China has laid a solid foundation for the country's future plans for a permanent space station, manned missions to the moon, and even Mars. Multiple interstellar missions have already been planned for the next decade. More interestingly, industry sources have disclosed that the planned Chinese Lunar Research Station, which is a major goal of future Chinese lunar exploration, will be built in an open and cooperative manner. Bullshit. The proposal has reportedly received positive responses from a number of countries and international organizations. Of course, that's who they all lie to. And many of them still keep flocking to them, thinking that they're going to be open and honest and fair with them. But this shows that Chinese space industry's development is turning from independent indigenous endeavors to all around opening up and cooperation. Bullshit. No, it don't. They're trying to show all these nations that they're to now lead in space and that they're the ones to be behind and follow. But speaking of lessons to be learned, while once again showing that decentralized mobilization mechanisms can harness the necessary resources, at the end of the day, it's about perseverance, paying dividends. <laughs> right. Everything would have been just castles in the air had it not been down-to-earth, no-nonsense, step-by-step approach generations of space industry workers have demonstrated for decades. Yeah, but it took decades to keep stealing our tech and shit and secrets and also buying them out from commie American traders. But it didn't matter to them that this had been done more than four decades back by others. They knew the country had to blaze its own trail in order to catch up. Yes, after they stole all our shit and to gain the advantage to put us out of the race so that they can win it and then dominate over the earth and I'll add to destroy this nation and others but more than anything else it is that perseverance that has won the space industry the solid standing it can now take pride in bullshit we cannot support and take pride of their accomplished endeavors which brings me to this from December 21st China plans to launch four manned spacecraft in the next two years yes four let's get into this China plans to launch four-man spacecraft as part of its space station construction program in the next two years, said an official with the China National Space Administration Thursday. China's manned space program will be very busy in 2021 and 2022, said Wu Yanhua, vice administrator of the CNSA, at a press conference on China's Chang'e 5 lunar mission. Wu said that a total of 11 missions to build China Space Station are planned for the next two years, including the construction of the core module that is scheduled to be launched in the first half of next year, two lab capsules as well as four manned craft and four cargo craft. A large number of in-orbit scientific experiments will then be carried out on China Space Station, he added. In October, the China Manned Space Agency announced that the country's manned space program had entered the mission preparation stage with the selection of a new group of 18 reserve astronauts. So see how they're ramping up, everyone. Which brings us to this one from December 18. China ponders moon base within five years. According to a report, China's National Space Agency said that it would invite other agencies and foreign partners to work jointly on the project, if possible, with the next lunar mission likely to take place in the next five years. Again, I don't believe them. I don't put trust in them. 
They're an existential threat to every nation on this earth. But the China National Space Administration announced that it will analyze whether it could build a permanent base on the moon, media reports revealed on Thursday. China Space Agency will explore the potential lunar base in a future Chang'e 8 mission, a Global Times report found, adding the new expedition would also test emerging 3D printing capabilities to construct the base. Beijing hopes to place Chinese astronauts on the moon by 2030 to build a permanent research base near the satellite South Pole. The South China Morning Post reported on Thursday, adding that it was set to launch a space station next year. The news comes after China announced it would invite international scientists to join lunar research projects to boost scientific results. Wu Yanhua, vice administrator of the CNSA, said at a press conference in Beijing. The recent Chang'e 5 mission was carried out with partners from the European Space Agency, Namibia, Pakistan, and Argentina, among others. Wu said that in a statement as quoted by China Daily. The unmanned Chang'e 5 successfully returned from his trip after gathering dust samples for study after its launch on November 23rd and its 23-day journey. Chinese President Xi Jinping congratulated the team on Thursday, stating that the complicated space program marked a great step forward in China's, in China's space industry. He means China's space supremacy and would contribute to deepening the understanding of the origin of the moon and the evolution history of the solar system. Your remarkable feats will always be remembered by our country and people, the Chinese president added. The news comes just days after Beijing announced that it would open its Aperture Spherical Telescope, or FAST, to foreign astronomers to attract global talent. See, they're trying to get all the global brains and minds to center and circle around them while destroying our network of connections. But the 500-meter device is the world's largest radio telescope, placing China ahead of the United States following a disaster which destroyed the Arecibo Observatory of Puerto Rico in mid-December, which was allowed to become destroyed and not kept up and to be taken down from our prestige to switch it over to theirs. Again, part of the Great Reset. Remember, we're not even supposed to have a space program, let alone a space force. They're going on their global reset plans of the New World Order. We ain't playing that commie shit. We're at war. So the picture's becoming clear about what's going on in the world regards to the space race. But we still have the other mind-bending reality to deal with the threats of space and the threats of what's coming from deep space, as well as the potential threats of which are already here regards the UFOs. And the real reasons why the U.S. government is so secretive about UFOs from December 17th. Two years ago, Sunday, the New York Times broke the stunning story of a secret Pentagon program to study unidentified flying objects. That story led me to delve into this strange world. I've learned some interesting stuff about UFOs, unidentified aerial phenomena, now being called UAPs as the Pentagon refers to them since then. But there's one problem. The United States government makes it very hard to figure out what and where UFO-related stuff is going on. Is that because the government is behind some great conspiracy to cover up the proof of alien visitation to Earth? Is it because the government is in cahoots with alien species to create human-alien hybrids? Perhaps, but I suspect not, states the author. I think it is going on, whether they're in cahoots or not. It's 
most likely been going on for some time. But what I believe is really going on here is that the few individuals in the U.S. government who know about this issue believe the phenomenon might be a threat, and they don't know how to deal with it. So what informs the government's fear? Well, first off, the nuclear issue. If you ask a Pentagon representative about a specific UFO incident, as I did recently last week, you'll get a boring response like, our aviators train as they fight. Any intrusions that may compromise the security of our operations, tactics, or procedures is of great concern. As the investigation of unidentified aerial phenomena sightings is ongoing, we will not discuss individual sighting reports or observations. By aviators, the Pentagon is referencing the particular frequency with which UFOs tend to interact with U.S. naval aviators operating off aircraft carriers. But what the Pentagon is leaving out is why the UFOs tend to run into those naval aviators, and that cuts to the heart of why the Pentagon is concerned about UFOs. Because the government's assessment, though they won't admit it, is that the UFOs are popping up near the aircraft carriers due to these carriers being nuclear-powered. Note also that UFOs also like to pop up near nuclear submarines and Air Force nuclear weapons bases. Now recognize that this paradigm has been occurring since the Manhattan Project operations at Los Alamos, New Mexico, and also at nuclear sites in the Soviet Union and Russia. Oh, and as Robert Hastings documents, these UFOs have sometimes even temporarily shut down U.S. nuclear weapon systems. Interesting, right? Now, recall what I just said, that modern UFO phenomena really gets going at exactly the same time as the Manhattan Project. Has humanity's perfection of nuclear energy piqued someone or something's curiosity in us? This isn't to say that these UFOs are hostile, although it must be noted that the diverging shapes, behaviors, and capability patterns of UFOs suggest more than one originating source. On the contrary, UFOs appear to be quite friendly, except when rather ill-advised Russian air crews attempt to engage them. But pretend you're a senior military or intelligence officer. You see the nuclear connection point, and you're struck by something odd going on. Now add to the nuclear issue that some UFOs are intelligently operated machines capable of instantaneously reaching hypersonic speeds. Oh, and that they're also anti-gravity and invisibility capable, and they have been tracked moving in and out of Earth's orbit, the atmosphere, and underwater. Suddenly you have something that is making the U.S. military's most advanced capabilities and those of every other military on Earth look like an absurd joke in comparison. You're left with an unpleasant conclusion. If whatever is controlling these things intends harm, we don't have a chance. Again, put yourself in the military officer's shoes. Something has repeatedly shown it can easily find carrier strike groups, which are designed and operated to be hidden in the far oceans, and to find nuclear ballistic missile submarines running near totally silent deep under the water. Something can penetrate this most securely guarded areas of the most important areas in the U.S. military and render our most critical deterrent platforms inoperable. For Pentagon planners, this is Armageddon-level stuff. But the truth is clear. If it wanted to, something strange could defeat America without raising a sweat. The extension is that even if the U.S. government believes, as it does, that these UFOs aren't Chinese, 
or Russian publicizing the issue itself risks another danger, namely that if the U.S. shares what it knows about UFOs, China or Russia, the Russian government has long been very interested in UFOs, might learn enough to replicate the associated technologies behind UFOs for themselves. And seeing as those technologies are almost certainly built around space-time manipulation, if Beijing or Moscow figures it out before the U.S. does, we have a rather large problem. See, notice that they're admitting there that these technologies are almost certainly built around space-time manipulation. As you all can recall, Dr. Jack Sarfati, who we've had on this show, also alludes to this and states that's in fact what it does use. This isn't to say, though, that the U.S. government is sitting idle. Whatever one thinks about the claims of those such as Bob Lazar, who says he worked on crashed UFOs at Area 51, and I'm not convinced of his story, the author states, but civilian and military government agencies retain active programs to ascertain the source, capabilities, and intent of UFOs. Indeed, at least some material from the crashed UFOs is in U.S. government possession. Just don't count on the military to share most of what it knows anytime soon. Their understanding of the phenomenon and professional instincts weigh heavily toward more secrecy. But what of the politicians? President Trump has admitted that he has been briefed on UFOs, and Presidents George W. Bush and Barack Obama likely were too. Interestingly, when asked about it, both former presidents jumped to joking non-denials. But seeing as they have few good answers, they likely believe there's no point in scaring folks and scarring social norms absent a solution. But where does this leave us? We'll need to keep pushing the issue, but also with confidence. That it will take time, but we'll get to the truth eventually. After all, the UFOs keep popping up, and considering their ability to cloak, there's only one obvious answer as to why they let themselves be seen. At least sometimes, they want to be seen. Think about that one, people. We have the greater threats to overcome of what and who is behind these UAPs and from when down through time. Wink, wink. Listeners to this show could appreciate. The obvious threats that we have to overcome first, like President Trump said, is not just to protect us from obvious threats coming from this planet or to protect low-Earth orbit, but the threats coming from deep space of why the Space Force was really also being created for. So that's something to ponder and chew on, ain't it? Because that's the reality, and that's the reality of the future and of the fate that we must make. It's a part of our lives, and it's a part of our future. So with that being said, maybe we should go to a break now and come back and introduce our guest, Doc Skinner. Because Doc Skinner has also done some work and has some knowledge regards to the UAPs, UFOs, and what's going on and what may be going on. So everyone, I would like you all to please go to www.thefacesofmars.com. That's right. And scroll on down the show page. Check out the information for tonight's guest. And click on his YouTube link there for a preview for Countdown to Disclosure, a video which he has helped to put together, I believe. So you get a, get a small preview of that. And also under that, check out his picture there with no link to anything but an upcoming film that he's that he's going to produce, which is part of a trilogy series, I believe, titled Fly, The Rise of Jet Parker. And under that, 
Check out my buddy Larry Bowen's recipe for mango fish and chicken salsa. For those who love packing and smoking them on this show, it's great to be prepared. And it's good that Larry provides us with some tasty treats for those who love packing and smoking for this show to tide them over throughout the munchies while they ponder. And you can scroll down under that and see a couple new faces of Mars that I have found in the highlighting. Be sure to check out Dr. Moore Carlotto's still latest before Atlantis article, Revising History Again, Evidence of an Even Older Civilization in India. And under that, click on the link for his book, Before Atlantis, because everything that you're reading at that blog of his is basically continuing on from the research he put forth in Before Atlantis. New evidence suggesting the existence of a previous technological civilization on Earth. Again, that's by Dr. Mark Carlotto. And of course, scroll down more, check out UFO Diaries. And check out those images that I'm on the hunt for, for us all. And also check out my buddy Rami Barilan's cool exclusive Mars images. They're always pretty unique. Some very interesting things that are being found there by people. Click on those images for exclusive Mars images. And that'll take you to the Facebook group where you can see his and many others interesting finds of Mars. See, these are things that are not being talked about or shown to you in the mainstream news. But that isn't far-fetched conspiracy theory anymore that they lie to us. And don't tell us everything, let alone tell us the truth. So with that being said, I guess listeners to this show again can appreciate we have a motto here. Pack them and smoke them, because you're definitely going to need them when we come back on the Martian Revelation. I'll be back. Don't run. We are your friends. Imagine that everything the U.S. government has told you about UFOs since Roswell has been a lie. Imagine that in the decade after Roswell, the government attempted communication with the aliens and succeeded. And after that, in absolute secrecy, things had gone far, far beyond this. Now imagine that tomorrow, the whole secret program is going to fall apart and every terrible thing is going to come out. All we have left now is a prayer. Morning Star Pass, the collapse of the UFO cover-up, a fictional but unflinching and terrifying look inside the UFO cover-up, the secret government that supports it, and the world of the aliens themselves, and then how the whole secret kingdom ends. Morning Star Pass, a book that pulls no punches and does not sheath the sword unblooded. Morning Star Pass, plunging boldly where no other book has ventured, captures the whole wondrous nightmare that the UFO experience has become, from bizarre experiments performed on helpless abductees to horrifying mutilations to beyond to the world of secret government supported by its own secret police to the aliens in their secret bases and finally to the beckoning stars themselves the book does this by placing the cover-up humanity and the earth and the real cosmos where humanity and its passions are a part of the universe not an aberration on it then comes the fall of the cover-up in a climax of violence and desperation to leave the human race facing the multi-hued stars with eyes open and seeking its place in them. The sands of time have run out for the cover-up for against it, leading an army of investigators and warriors, comes Cassandra Chen, beautiful, driven, and doomed. Who can save her and us? Haha, <laughs> you'll have to read it to find out. Morning Star Pass, the collapse of the UFO cover-up by Victor Norgard. Get yours today. You can find this at www.firstbooks.com.
indeed. Holy diver. How fitting for tonight's guest. Now that you all packed and spoke them, welcome back, everyone, to the Martian Revelation. I am Gary Legier, your host, the Marsh Revela, known also as the Mad Martian. So let us introduce our guest, Doc Skinner. And Doc Skinner is a creator of visions and the builder of dreams. And Doc has been in the entertainment industry for over 35 years. He has worked for Disney, Universal Studios, Spielberg, SeaWorld, Six Flags over Texas, all before he was 22. From then, he got serious with acting and stunt work in 1992. He was a singer in bands, and he did many independent films. Then he got into managing talent and Dallas booking gigs for his clients. And Doc is also a panelist researcher at Third Phase of Moon, the number one UFO channel on the Internet. He's a mad genius and founder of Disclosure Con, and he is the owner and founder at White Mountains Film and Media Resource Office. And he's also the film resource coordinator at Arizona Film Office, providing film resources for film companies shared with the public. Doc's also the co-owner at Legion M Studios, the most outside-the-box film studio on the planet. Doc is also a talk show host at 1028 Live. He's the president, film producer, director at 1028 Productions, and he is working on his new action family movie, Fly, The Rise of Jet Parker, scheduled to release in 2022. Yes, those holy divers. So with that being said, it's real cool to have you on, Doc, and uh, thank you very much for joining us the day after Christmas, and how are you doing tonight, sir, and thank you very much for being with us. Can you hear me? <laughs> yeah, you. sir, <laughs> thank you very much for being with us. Thank you very much. Um, how are you today? Ah, pretty good. Yeah, can you hear me? Are we good? Uh, I believe I'm hearing you. You sound a little far from the computer. You don't have a headset mic or a mic in front of you. Obviously. All right. So, oh, I see what's going on. Hold yeah, on. you have to you have to hear me I, without hearing me go YouTube. live. That's There's what, a delay. Are you there? Yes. Can I hear him? I don't know. For but some reason, I can't hear you. Did he have me going through the speak? Did you have me going through your speakers or some uh, on the live stream? You have to communicate through me on uh, through the Skype connection. Some uh, on the live stream. You have to communicate through me on uh, through the Skype connection. Okay, it's hold on. Let me turn that off. All right. Go over here to Skype. All I see is a is a cigarette box, <laughs> but I can't hear anything. A cigarette box. Oh, maybe that's Odin. Let's see. I don't. That don't make sense. See what, where I'm supposed to go. It just shows your video. Huh. Go to my settings, settings audio, and change it to my snowball microphone snowball. Check one. I can't hear you. I'm still here. Oh, but I, might, I think he's hearing me call delayed. Call. What do you listen to this thing? See if I can call you. And uh, this isn't working. Um, 
But once in a while, we go through some whoop-de-doos on this show. But not that much, though. You know, say whatever you want, people. We haven't been going through uh, that. What the I can't hell? hear you unless I'm, I got you on the YouTube. Hold on a sec. I don't think. Oh. Someone's calling me. Hello? Hi. So uh, I see, your, I see a, de- a camera on the desk upside down, but I can't hear you through Skype. I don't have uh, my camera on. I don't know whose camera you're seeing. Uh, Mean Green pulled you in. You should be hearing me through the Skype, not through the stream. The stream volume, you got to shut off. I could hear myself speak as a delay. Correct. I I closed it, but, uh, yeah, because I couldn't hear anything through Skype. Huh. Uh, Turn off incoming video. No, uh... Tell Daryl to turn off something Mean Green just said. Tell Daryl to turn off your video. Odin, turn off that video. I don't know if that has something to do with it. It's somebody's video. So, but uh, my microphone is on. I've got a signal in the settings window. Um, That's odd. But, uh, yeah, for some reason, I can't hear you through at all. I got my speakers up. Um, unmute for incoming calls. Boy, this is awkward. Yeah, it is. Can, can we do it through the phone? Uh, not, no, not, man, because no. I'm, I'm through Skype. I'm not hooked up to be able to connect to the phone. I got I to uh, advance up more, but I need more do- donations. Speaking of which, please hit those that big red, white, and blue American donate button. You know, but it is what it is. I do one show at a time despite the lack of, but I know I, I'm going to help make our fate so I know our future's true and secure. So I apologize for any inconveniences, everybody. Really, this never happens. Uh, I think Mean Green just messaged. Let me check. Yeah, well, Daryl, where yeah. are you? Can you hear? Shut that video well, up, bro. I don't know if that has something to do with it, but we can start with that. See, I don't, I don't know. I mean, my co-producer's out there, you know. I'm just sitting here trying to do the thing. (laughs) There's a white pack of cigarettes upside down. Yeah, I see that. (laughs) So there's four people on this call, I guess. So, oh, hold on now. Hold on, hold on. Wait, 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 wait. No, Marja Beeler, you're you're unmuted. Right. Yeah, the network is muted and Mean is is muted, but uh, we're, we're good. I don't know why I can't hear you, though. Um, I don't know, let me see if I can get anyone in the, sounds like he's got a slight delay after you say things, that's right. How's it sound now, though, out there, uh, listeners? Uh, again, this is awkward. Sounds like he's got a slight delay after you say things, Jacob Waters said. Yeah, exactly, so that's, so it'll be hard to communicate, especially if he's not hearing me. He's on the phone with me right now. I could hear him through the Skype, though. I'm I'm seeing his video, the little cool alien in the background and everything, and when he talks, I hear it, but he's not hearing me. He hears my delay. He hears the delay because he's hearing uh, the show uh, stream, uh, I guess, on YouTube or something. Yeah, I had it on YouTube, but I shut it off when I heard the first delay. Yeah, this is weird. um, they just don't want me to tell you anything. <laughs> he, uh, uh, Mike, uh, he says he hears both of us. Does it sound straight now just with try no, to recall. no delay? And you can hear both of us uh, like in the conversation? I'm waiting for the reply. If not, I could just restart it, or re- and you can recall me. That's possible. Yeah. Mean Green, let's see how this answer comes. 
He hears both of us, he says, but uh, is it is it consistent? No gaps in between him and I talking? Reconnect, he says. All right, me, okay. Green, if you can, he's going to hang up. Please reconnect. We'll uh, try to get this ship rolling. Okay. I think me, me, I don't think so. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> Hello. Can you hear him Hello? now? He should be on with us now, I hope. Uh, I'm guessing. Can you hear me, uh, Doc? I can hear you. Uh, on Skype. Are we still on phone, too? Is that why you hear me? <laughs> hear you. Hold on. I'm connected to my Bluetooth on my speakers just in case. All right, now talk. Can you hear me straight? Can you hear me straight? Uh, yeah, but you can't hear yourself now, can you? Uh... I hear myself in my, through my headphones all the time here. Help. No, I mean, but you're not getting my, my end. I don't hear no delay on your end like I did earlier. Good. So. But so now Skype can, if Skype can, uh, if you can hear, if they can hear me on Skype and I, I heard it on the, on the YouTube. So as long as I can hear you and I'm talking in the mic, they hear it. They'll hear both of us. All right. Should we hang up the phone and then try to uh, make sure we'll continue talking on here make sure it's right? Yep, no, 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 we've got to leave the phone on. Oh, no shit. That, that, that's how I'm hearing you. I'll use the phone to hear you, and you'll use Skype to hear me. All right, gotcha. That works better. Makes sense? All right, cool. All right. Okay. All right. So, anyway. <laughs> what a way to start. <laughs> so how was your Christmas? <laughs> Dude, it, it was it was cool. Um, I got to have dinner with two amazing families, uh, Christmas Eve and then Christmas Day. And, you know, I, I, I didn't really have anything under the tree this year, and I'm not complaining because this year I woke up in my new home with three new puppies. So, I mean, I am so happy, and, 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 and I'm where I want to be finally. Uh, well, I'm on the road to being where I want to be. I still got a lot of things to do. That's awesome. But, uh, yeah, it, I'm, I'm a very, very thankful this Christmas and grateful. Right. So it was good. It was good. Yours? Oh, it wasn't much uh, at all. Everything kind of got ruined. Uh, my puppy got torn up really bad. You know, I got my wife a new TV. You know, she deserves that and everything. And I was going to do the surprise little spree the day before. Well, a couple of days before then, my puppy got all hurt and torn up. And, well, then I had to have a mobile vet come. And she's still not fully healed. There's still some open wounds. But, uh, I, I, hey, her life's more important. I got 13 dogs I got to care for, and that I love. They're all oh, my, my gosh. Baby. Yeah, they're all our babies, man. And uh, when something yeah. like that happens, you know, you know, help screw Christmas. She's alive. I uh, think she's never been wounded, but she's got open wounds, so I'm just trying to keep her in and watch her. Yeah. But other than that, it's been peaceful, you know, except it's not really yeah. feeling festive. I'm feeling the war coming against us and what we're in, especially with the space race. And uh, we we're all being led to, I believe, like a slaughter. We've been sold out, in my opinion. Uh, the commie Chinese 
are trying to take all the positions of what we had to turn it around and then destroy us. Wake up, everybody. But I'm crazy, they'll say, Doc, you know, but the reality is things are going to get even more crazy, especially as we make our fate on this new timeline. And uh, But other than that, I'm thankful, though, I'm alive, and I got to spend time with family and friends. So other than that, uh, I'm looking forward to the new year, uh, what's coming up, especially if positive things happen. You know, let's not get all doom and gloom. This is about making our fate. And uh, the song, I figure you might get a trip out of that, Doc, a holy diver there, because, <laughs> you know, you got some holy divers <laughs> going on there. Um and before we get into everything, though, do you want to tell us about that? Because I noticed there was really no link, at least not that I see. I could always put it on the archive page, sir. Uh, for, well, what is it again? Uh, Sky? Not Sky. Uh, oh, Fly. Fly. Yeah, The Rise of yeah. Ted Parker. Uh, uh, yeah. So, and that looks pretty incredible. And I got many ideas how maybe that could also be applicated in the real sense, technology for space or space training, especially for Space Force. But again, I'm crazy. I'm jumping ahead. I don't know nothing of this. All I know is my brain is wheeling and uh, with his gears there. Please fill us in on all this. It looks fascinating. Well, um, yeah, it's going to be the first of its kind. Uh-huh. Uh, it's, there's been movies about every type of sport out there in the world. Um, even croquet has been portrayed in movies, you know, uh-huh. in, you know, the old, old artsy fartsy movies. Um, you've seen Red Bull videos, competition videos, commercials, um, of indoor skydiving. Uh-huh. You've never seen a movie with a storyline and characters that embodies the community, the, the lifestyle, the mentality of this sport, which is completely just isolated different from all other sports and i want to highlight that in there because kids ages four and up to like 90 right you know or older 100 100 you know have done it um uh, people that are handicapped or or missing limbs can do this um people with other disabilities so it's it's a beautiful sport and i kind of stumbled into it by 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 goof you might say uh-huh. but then i like like the character in the movie jet parker who's this young kid coming to a small mountain town right. and it bumps into these uh, uh underdog group of kids and they they uh introduce him to this sport and you know he, he progresses through the movie and then of course there's chapter two and three uh that will be shot all over the world but the first one we just got to get done. <laughs> that gets the startup capital for the travel. Um, but the cast is uh, an international cast. And um, I knew when I wrote this, which I did in two weeks, I mean, it clawed its way out of me. Wow. It's like it, the story knew it needed to be. I mean, I was giving birth <laughs> in a sense, you know subconsciously or however you want to think of it spiritually uh-huh. it was um you know and it's still growing before it, it hits the big screen and graduates you know there, there's some tweaks I'm, i have to add like two or three new characters um uh here in the next week or so right uh, to, to, to fill it up but the beauty of it is 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 the sport and and the mentality and the sportsmanship 
that these these kids have and it's not just these kids it's a it's a worldwide phenomenon in the body flight community and body flight community means skydiving indoor skydiving wingsuit flying bungee jumping any kind of extreme sports uh jetpack flying wow wink wink nudge wink wink nudge nudge and um you know lots of new exciting things that might or might not, cannot confirm or deny, incorporate in one point or another during these three chapters a certain space force. Uh-huh. The thoughts, the thoughts, the wheels are turning. Yes, sir. But, um, you know, because uh, these are high school kids, they have to graduate, right? Right. What would be going on about three years from now? So, um, so there's, uh, there's big plans. The, the first one, the cost of putting it together is going to be the cost of a low-range car commercial. Really? But the way it's – yes. So I'm doing a crowdfunding campaign in January. We'll run it for 60 days. Because this is a film that, you know, I, I will say there, there, there was a certain um, mousy type of uh, place that was interested. Uh-huh. We'll just leave it at that. And um, I got excited for about three seconds. And I know, I was like, nah, do I want the happy mafia running my stuff? <laughs> this is my baby. Yeah. So so, uh, so I've, I've pulled back. Now, there might be a chance it still may happen in two and three. I might need the money. But I'm going to have to have you know serious control. I'm going to pull some George Lucas moves in my contracts. That's for sure. Definitely uh-huh. on the merchandise. Um, but this will highlight this sport, which anybody out there, let, let me just, let me ask the audience. I know I can't get a full response, but how many of you ever wanted to fly? I mean, literally fly. Well, this movie is going to show you if you didn't know already about this amazing underground sport, it's probably, I, I used to call it in the beginning, the most popular ignored sport on the planet because some people know of its existence, but they really didn't know what it was. It was just like a training thing for skydivers. They didn't realize anybody could do this, even children. Uh-huh. And so um, it's, it, it, it's, gonna, it's literally going to get a lot more people in, in the doors that I flies all around the, the now, country. And, before you tell us um, more, though, can you tell us more about the indoor sky? What is it? I mean, I've seen, like, videos, but they, the rules yeah. didn't look very big, but they had a... Uh, enough room to be able to, you know, guide themselves around and, you know, do all those crazy stunts. Eventually, as you get used to it and learn, I see them do. How is that what you're talking about and the air being rushed up through the bottom of the floor? Now, how are you going to put that into a movie? Are you going to use a lot of CGI to really bring out effects? Or, I mean, or as you advance in later films? I may be jumping ahead, sir. No, yeah, no, no, no. Well, I, I don't want to ever compare myself to Tom Cruise, but that's how I want to do my films like he does, like, you know, do it for real. Mm-hmm. So reeling back to once I finished the script and I and I realized what I had written, which I later found out two months later in, uh, or a few months later in, it was last January, uh, when I when I flew to Spain for the 2020 Wind Games, which is the Olympics for this sport, so um, I, I wrote the script, and I'm sitting there, and I've got my wish list on my big wish wall that I have. It's the the whole wall is marker board, 
And uh, it actually is magical. When I write stuff, things happen. But I put these list of names. Right. And, and, I, and then I'm looking back, you know, because you read the script a million times. Um, and luckily now the, there's this program where it'll just it'll read it to you <laughs> so I can at least walk around when I'm listening to it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was like, this is not a movie that I can afford, let alone the actors, but let alone the amount of time in advance in pre-production training them to do this sport because this is something – now, unless you're kids – Kids pick this up really fast just because it's something, you know, when they're young, they, that's their learning time. So, so you need people and, that are already experienced and maybe like in the films to play the part, they could start out like how they really did. And then, you know, uh, and being as advanced as they would be, they would play their parts professionally in these things. I mean, again, I'm just well, trying to. Understand. Exactly. No, no, no doubles, basically. Right. So that's saving like half, you know, you know, half of more, which you'd be paying with more people. And you would know because so, you were uh, a stunt man. Right? I, I was for 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 a chapter in my life, yeah, and, that, and now I'm paying for it with back injury. But wow. Um, so I'm, I'm trying to take the director or producer's chair or anything where I can sit. <laughs> but um, but no, I, I have done it. Uh, I did it when I came back from Spain, but let me, let me go back to where it was or I'll, yeah. I'll start digressing. Um, so I knew that I, I could not hire actors unless it was for characters that weren't flyers, like com- competitors in the movie. Right. And so, um, I, so I, I did a lot of research, watched a lot of videos and I found this one with this Russian three-time world champion, Leonid Volkov from St. Petersburg, Russia. And this guy trains all the other countries' teams because he does solo, but he trains other teams to do this for competitions. So he, he designs moves and whatnot. And so they call him like the Jedi of, of uh, body flight, <laughs> Jedi cool. master. And so, and he really is. I mean, his control is amazing. And so I looked him up, and lo and behold, I, was, I, I FaceTimed him or, or something, one of those video calls, Zoomed him. Right. And... I uh, woke him up at like three in the morning, but he was, uh, he was as delightful as a Russian can be. And uh, we got along really well. And he said, yeah, I'm in. And because of that, he introduced me to, I mean, we're talking the ESPN sports champions of the year, kind of, you know, you know, they're, they got millions of followers, Red Bull sponsored, all that. And he was hooking me up. And so, I started getting all these these people, but I'm like, you know what? I got to see them. I got to see them. So I, you know, took a loan out, <laughs> got a ticket and some cash to go to Spain and uh, went to the 2020 Win Games. And be, before I got there, I had kind of told them I was coming and I was what I was wanting to do. I was going to bring cameras because I was streamed from there, blah, blah, blah. All right. And not until I got there, they thought I was a joke. Then when I showed up, one of them recognized my face and said, are you Doc Skinner? I'm like, well, shit. I'm in the middle of, I'm on the coast of Spain, three hours from Barcelona going, somebody just recognized me. This is crazy. That's cool. Though. And then, and they were like, they were like, come with us, come with us. And they introduced me to the sportscaster, the head guy, the Howard Cosell of all body flight air and air sports including planes and, you know, Red Bull, you know, stunt planes and all that stuff. And he covers it all. He is the man. And 
Uh, I, I, I didn't, I didn't know who he was. <laughs> That's a name I haven't heard in a long time. Howard Cassell. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Howard Cassell. So anyway, um, uh, I got hooked up with a lot of people, and they kept saying, "Thank you. It's about time." They've done, they've done skydiving stuff. Nothing about our sport, and it's been around for over thirty years. We, we, it's our time. Thank you. And and I felt like, oh my god, I really got to make a great movie. So when I do when I do the um, crowdfunding uh, in January, it'll go run for sixty days, and I'm hitting I'm hitting all of them up. I'm hitting anybody in, in anything that involves gravity. I'm sending it out there, and I'm saying I only need five hundred thousand dollars. There, if you think of all the paratroopers, skydivers in the military, ex-military, retired, I mean, every, anybody that's ever jumped out of a plane is alive. So and what I, about other what, what about other indoor uh, skydiving places? Uh, maybe help chip in or have donation funds for uh, to help the effort, right? Because right, that would exactly. benefit them. It would bring more people and interest in this. Well, not only that, but I will be open to any of them that want to around the world that wants to host our cast and crew to film you know, competition scenes, because we're going to be shooting, I mean, I got a whole list of countries, but um, awesome. uh, it's, it, I mean, from all over, um, it, it's, it's going to be insane. And each movie escalates in adrenaline. I, I don't want to say it's crazy as Fast and the Furious, but I'm just saying it's going to have an escalation like Fast and the Furious series did. All right. And like I said, competition maybe, and all that, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and maybe, maybe, or maybe not, something in in the outer realms of uh, the atmosphere. Hmm. So, um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's, there's one in particular, uh, I won't say his name, but he jumped out of a thing in space and skydived. Hmm. I'm trying to get a, he's, he's one of the few that I haven't got a hold of yet that I'm trying to. Was it about uh, a few years fun? ago, a couple of, or a few years ago, and, and he did that? Yeah, Felix Baumgartner is his name. He he was a Red Bull skydiver that jumped from uh, the stratosphere, and so I, I I I've got a part for him if he's interested. That would be awesome. so. Yeah, and I've and I've got some other people that it there. Yeah, and there's a company that's invented a new device that uh, they just kind of put out there, mm-hmm. um, but uh, I don't think anybody truly sees it the implications of it. So I'm going to try to get a hold of them and say, I want to use this device in my film. And I'll even let you be like, you know, blank companies pictures. You can add that on other 1028 productions. So thing is, what's the device? Is, 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 a, is a, I'm sorry. What's the device? What do you mean a device? It's an electronic wing suit. An electronic wing, what? Wing suit. You know, the, 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 you know when they jump out of a plane and, and they've got like the squirrel things between yeah, their arms yeah, and their chest? Yeah, yeah, that they could glide yeah. and fly, right? Yeah, they're called wingsuits. And so um, they have one, this one in particular company you would not think would have invented this. Uh, it did, and it's electronic. And so you go and you do your falling and your flying and all your tricks. But once you get down, I mean, you eventually have to go down. You know, you can't stay up forever. Right. So once you get to a certain altitude, you hit a button and bam, you go right back up and start all over again. Wow. Right, right. What, well, so what, then, uh, it, it has some type of propulsion? Yeah, yeah. Huh. It's an electric wingsuit. So, ah, hell, I'll tell you, it's BMW that made it. 
That's why I'm like, if I can get in with them, that's one car commercial. The cost of this movie is one car commercial. They can say BMW Films in association with 1020 Productions. I don't care. Give it to me. Let me make my movie. And then, yeah. well, we use BMWs in, in the in the film. You know, I just I just need to make this happen before the kids that I've got graduate high school with all this, you know, being <laughs> stuck at home crap. Right. So, but uh, but yeah, let me dude. Let me let me tell you, my cast members. My cast members come from uh, Canada, Great Britain. I'm just going down the cast list. I don't want to tell you who they are yet, but uh, wow. Colorado, London, Dubai, uh, Finland, uh, U.S., Belgium, Germany, Hollywood, uh, two more in the U.S. twins, Poland, Spain, Germany, St. Petersburg, Russia, and Zimbabwe, Africa, New York, New York, and then I got a couple locals. Um uh, and then uh, Leo Ned from Russia and Lise from Canada. So, um, nice. yeah, yeah, I've got it. What's so cool, it's an international cast, which gives me the opportunity when it's done, I can submit it to the Cannes Film Festival. Now, if you've ever seen a video of the Cannes Film Festival, they all come up in, like, yachts and boats to a red carpet, right? right. Well, I want them to have, like, a break in the boats, and come flying in as my entrance and hope to God I don't crash. <laughs> <laughs> that would be awesome, though. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so, so basically, so, this, is, this yeah. is now, that's going to be like the first of a, of a trilogy? Correct. Yeah, yeah. The first one is uh, The Rise of Jet Parker. The next, second one is Dancing with Gravity. It's Fly, Dancing with Gravity, and then Fly, and then Fly. I don't want to give away the third one. All right. But I am your father. <laughs> you <know>? <laughs> <laughs> like Star Wars. Some plots and twists. Um, <laughs> yeah, and there's going to be lots of twists. Um, and uh, it's going to have everything. But here's the beauty of it. It's gonna, I will guarantee it it's going to sell. One, the community, they're all going to buy it up because and, and go see it because a lot of them will be in it. I'm going to give all of them the opportunity to be extras in the film. Right. And if they're, uh, if they're competitors, they can compete in the background while some dialogue's going on. Like we say, Hey, that's me, you know? And, um, we did a, a, a campaign right before, or actually I did it right when I got back mm -hmm. because I almost didn't make it back from Spain from the wind games because that's when, uh, Wuhan had spread and uh, oh. got hit with Paris with the COVID and they were shutting this, everything down. And I almost got stuck in a country. I, I didn't speak Spanish. You know, I was just yeah. like, I didn't have any money. My trip was done. I was ready to go home. Uh, but I made it back. We put this little video together. And it was all these international, amazing sports athletes, um, you know, saying, I support Fly. You know, my name is da-da-da-da-da, three-time champion, blah, 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 from where, wherever. Uh, I support Fly the movie, and I put all these together, and all of those people that did that for me are going to get to be in the credits at the end of the movie. Nice. And let me let me just say this: when you guys go see it, um, you know, watch it till the end. Marvel doesn't have a trademark on you know false endings. <laughs> <laughs> now, now that sounds pretty so, incredible. Now, um, regards to. Space applications, can these be utilized as a training? I don't know. This might be an off-the-wall question to you, but, again, I'm, my gears are turning on how the types of training that could be done in here could even be applicated to Space Force members. Uh, you know what I'm saying? Can, can that? Well, well here, here, 
Well, here's what I okay. These these apparatuses, the, you know, devices, whatever you call them, uh, they aren't space worthy. Um, I mean, I mean, they probably could, but I don't know about the temperatures because they haven't tested these these devices. These jet, there's like a guy in California that has a jetpack school that you can go to. Um, I don't know the name of it. Look, yeah, just look up jetpack school in California. It'll pull it up. Uh, no, you don't get to, you know, go flying all over. Um, <laughs> but they, 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 they have you cabled, you know, but you learn how to control it and everything. Now, if you aren't aware about, was it two, two or three? No. God, this, this whole time, this whole year has just been weird. I'd say about the past three months or three months ago, excuse me, um, at LAX, they had a rocket man fly over airport airspace yeah, and then stop that. the airport. And we covered that story um, on a show that I'm on called Third Base and Moon. Yeah. Um, very interesting. We, we did research and I called the, I called the school and I was like, uh, really? Do you guys, was it one of your people? <laughs> was it a pissed off student? What was it? He detached the cable, you know, uh-huh. go for a spin. It's like, no, no, we don't know who did it. We don't know who did it. I'm like, all right, all right. <laughs> so, um, so there are people out there that are, that are doing this. And the, the technology itself, if they can figure out how to encase it and protect it like they do with an actual spacecraft right. to where, uh, you know, the mechanics of it, um, would now in space you're not going to need as much fuel because you just need a little little spurts you know right. really if you, you know, unless unless you're hollow ass then you know go for it but um, doesn't take much in there whereas here it takes a crap load of fuel and it's a very short period of time like remember in the 70s I'm sure you remember uh, uh, they had the rocket guy the NASA guy with the yeah. white helmet yeah and he'd fly into like the Olympics and stuff yeah. you know that is is awesome but the fuel consumption and the cost is just so immense um until they can you know break it down to somehow ion energy energy or something i don't know then you need like special heat plates you know burn your thighs like like rocket man or maybe even uh exo some type of exosuit uh, uh, exoskeleton, yes. You know that would be awesome. Now, uh, regards to this Chinese kung fu and your plans, because obviously you got to get started on this like now uh, to make things happen right. How have you considered what may yet still be happening that may help prevent you, or are you working around those potential blocks? Well, the biggest thing. The biggest thing is getting most of the cast here. Now, we do have a few in the States and whatnot, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, you heard me read off all those countries. Right. So yeah. it's, it's, it's getting them out, and they get out. They, I mean, so it's, it's not always as bad as we are told it is over here, over there. I mean, they, they can get around like we can in some cases. It's not as bad. I mean, some cases it is, you know, certain countries, but um, – they're going around and, and, and they're practicing at wind tunnels again. They're getting out and about, but, you know, they're following, uh, you know, guidelines, right. um, which uh, we just finished. Well, not me, but I, I got to be a part of a film, a Christmas movie that was filmed here a couple of weeks ago. Some friends of mine produced it called Hashtag Blessed. Oh. And 
um, we were able to film the movie, you know, uh, by all strict guidelines in the film industry and whatnot, and by CDC. Everybody wore masks. Everybody came in. When they came in, they got temperature, you know, signed off on a list. Um, and uh, and then when, of course, when the cameras came on, the masks came off for, the, for that for that brief moment, and then the masks go back on. Right. So, and we were able to get it done. And, you know, there wasn't a big hizzy about it. So um, by, by doing it that way, too, I'm just going to have to see, you know, that there's, there's a little bit of buffer money in that 500. It'd be great if we made more because I probably am going to have to fly a lot of these people out a week to maybe two weeks early. You so said, that you said if they have to quarantine. You said 500, 500,000? Correct. That's about the cost of a, a cheap car commercial. Because the way I, I wrote the script was so that everything that we had to film was all within a one mile radius of my house. Oh, that's smart. Logistics. I use local businesses that are friends of mine, the, the movie theater, the pizza place, the comic book store. You know, I, I talked to the high school. They were so blown away that I was going to do this and I wanted to incorporate their school. And, and of course, the name of the school will be the same. It'll be Blue Ridge. Um, uh, oh crap! What were the Hornets? Blue Blue Ridge Hornets, I think. Uh-huh. And so we'll have. Uh, it'll be that name in the background of the school. And when we're selling movie merch, you know, um, it'll have the name of the high school, and then maybe the name of the, of the the fictional team on the back. But it'll say Blue Ridge High School, and all funds for that will go to Blue Ridge High School to help the kids and get computers and you know, build up their, uh, their drama and film department, which they don't have. They, they actually asked me if I wanted to, you know, come and help. And I'm like, let me, let me get these movies done. I'll have money that I can, you know, just not stress and do it, you know, or maybe they'll so, be then, inspired yeah. and, and create an indoor, uh, skydiving team for the school. Like you said, Olympics well, and stuff, that would be great for schools to applicate. Well, and I don't think well, that would, would be too hard of an well, effort. That, on that's, them. that's actually a part of the, the big plan. The big plan is, um, if being that it's a family film that we're making, it's going to, I mean, parents are going to just swap it up. Cause there's not, there's so little family friendly films out there. That's just cartoon. And it's all, you know, shoot them up, bang, bang, blow up crime, aliens, end of the world, blah, 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 psycho killers. Yeah. And so whatever it is, they'll grab it. Cause it's something new that, so their kids will shut up for another hour, you know? Yeah. And so, um, you know, with that, we're hoping, uh, you know, $12 million is like a drop in the bucket in movie numbers when, you know, the money's coming in, right? Right. Um, there, you're, you're looking at maybe like $50 million, $70 million, 100 500 a billion Star Wars, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, wouldn't that be nice? But for me, as long as I can pull in 12 I'll take two, you know, put that towards part two. So it's bigger and better and then make more money on that, do right. the third, and then whatever happens after that. Um, but I want to take 10, and I'm going to build an iFly facility here on the mountain. So when we do film two and three, we do have a facility here instead of where we're actually going to be filming, which is completely another, another location. Wow. So, um, and it will be a working facility. So when we're not filming, it's open to the public. We can have competitions. Now we're bringing in international kids from all over the world. They're 
going to the hotels, they're running the cars, they're eating at the restaurants, and they're coming to the facility. So now there's a place for jobs. You know, I can hire locals and teach them to do that. And we can have the high school teams, as you were saying. Um, and then, you know, people are going to want to come to that specific location because it was in the movie, right? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's a big it's a big plan. And then around that, I would, I would really like to start building 1028 Studios and have that just be one of the big first attractions of the first movie, you know, from 1028 Productions. So the, it's a big, it's a, here's a big, big picture. Um, but the, the beauty about this, the movie that I think I, I want people to really take away other than, oh, wow, ooh, cool is the concepts and the mentality of these athletes in this specific arena of, of body flight sports, okay? Because you go to other sports and people are angry. They're throwing beer. They're getting in fights at basketball games, baseball games, football games, you know, hockey games. Yeah, and taking a knee and, and, and you suck and you suck and oh you like them well you're just a crappy person I'm not going to get to know you uh-huh. and you just missed out on something cool right, right. okay in this, uh, in this arena of sports body flight there is none of that these people ages 4 and, uh, and up to like you know wheelchair old like, like 900, not 900 like 190 200 years old they'll sit there and you will have teams who have solos in these competitions and teams, uh, the old first duels, uh, fours, and uh, they'll be from all over the world representing their country, okay? Mm-hmm. And they'll be like, all right, we have Russia, here's Germany, here's China, blah, 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 blah. I mean, they're all there. Right. Not every single one of them cheered for every single person that went in that too, even the ones they were up against. And when they came out, they patted them on the backs and they, they, they encouraged each other. They laughed. They were like, oh, dude, that, that was sick, bro. You know, uh-huh. it was the most beautiful thing I have ever seen in sports that you, as a child, always would think that's how it would be. But you grow up with this, added mentality, we're number one, you suck. And this doesn't. And, and, and it's not just... You know, it's not like a, a wimpy mentality. It, it's it's a brotherhood. It's it's a sisterhood. These kids train. I mean, adults too. Teams. They train together. They play together. They go on vacations together. Holiday. They compete against each other. Right. And and they're all friends. Why? Why is this? What makes this sport different from all these other sports? Okay. You can it's fly. Because, what? You can fly. Well, not only you can fly, but you have to think of it from the standpoint of, of just straight out skydiving. Mm-hmm. When you're skydiving, you're usually skydiving with somebody, okay? If something was to happen to you on that fall, she didn't work, you got knocked out, you were choking by a line, whatever, your life depends on that person falling next to you. Right. As his life depends on you. It's that military mentality. It's like that. That's why there's that brotherhood in the military because you. You depend on each other's lives to, to save each other if you need to. And so that mentality came over to indoor skydiving to be, you know, so they could train in a safe environment. But the mentality was there. And I think people that had never skydived that came into indoor skydiving because it was safe, you know, <laughs> got, you know, in, in, enveloped in this, in this loving 
sp- good, great sportsmanship like mentality. And it is, it is just, it is the way it, as the Mandalorian would say, uh, you know, oh, how did he say? Uh, it's the way it is or something. Uh, oh, it is the way. It is the way, you know? And it is just, I, I, when I saw that, I, I said, shit. Oh, wait, can I cuss? Yes. Sorry, <laughs> no, I'm sorry. Right. You can do all um, that on this. I mean, but, we're real here. Yeah. But um, you know, I, I finished the script, and it was supposed to be one movie, mm-hmm. and they were supposed to go to. They were supposed to, and I can tell you this because this is not how it, it goes now. Because it's now it's become a trilogy. Uh, uh-huh. But they were supposed to go to the next Olympics in 2024, I think, uh-huh. or 2022, um, in France. And they were going to be the first team of the United States to represent for this brand new sport indoor skydiving. Because everybody thought they were going to get it by then. So that's how I wrote the script. Yeah, big heroes at the end. Um, then I go to the win games and I find out from all these people that no, uh, the Olympics just picked the two new sports, which was skateboarding. And I'm like, eh, okay, okay, I can see that. That's cool. I can see that. We've got bicycles. That's cool. And then I was like, but why, what, what, what else beat us out? And they said, break dancing. Ah. And I said, excuse me? I said, I'm sorry, I did not hear you correctly. They said, no, no, the new Olympic sport for now on, you know, it's added to all the other sports in Olympic history is um, break dancing. Oh, wow. And I said, you got to be kidding me. Well, they, they told me because these um, uh, facilities have a motorized engine running the fan, it's not human, you know, endurance power that's making the motor go. So that, that Nolan voids it forever being an Olympic sport. So they have the wind games. Oh. Still, thank goodness. Um, but you were asking how it works. There's, it's usually a rectangular building, the newer ones. And they've got the fans. Um, there's, imagine two towers on the sides of this very thin box building. Mm-hmm. And... It sucks the air down those two side shafts under the first floor, like a basement area, and then shoot it up um, but from both sides into one tube. And and then it goes through the tube. I mean, of course, you have your steel netting and everything. Um, and then it goes up through a shaft, which goes back up and recycles it. Nice. So um, it helps keep you know costs down. Too, but, uh, it, it's a really cool design. Um and they do have them where there's like mobile ones and outdoor ones, but uh, they they range from I think it's like nine feet is probably one of the small ones. I could be wrong, but nine feet. And then there's one in Dubai that's thirty one or thirty two feet across. Nice. So they can bring in like skydive teams of like ten, fifteen, twenty, and they can go in there and practice their you know. Uh, uh, connections where they grab each other's arms and legs. Yeah. Uh, uh, safe and fly over dancing. over against them having a jump. Yeah, like fly, oh, fly dancing as it was. Because uh, uh, that could be very technical, like dancers or swimmers in the pools. I mean, uh, I've seen skydivers right? jumping out of planes. They would make like big, giant snowflake things, and they would all do their twists, let go, and come back all nice and artistically and uh, uh, beautiful, really. You know, like it's works of art. Yeah. Well, it, it really is, and um, it's a skill. And that's, that's why, you know, back to the casting of my film, mm-hmm. I knew I could not hire actors. One, they'd be too expensive, all the insurance, all that. 
These are sports athletes, and all of them are champions who have a huge following. So when marketing time comes, you know, they got a part of the movie. You know they're going to tell all their fans. All their fans are going to go see the movie. And hopefully, you know, it, it'll do well. But if, uh, if, if they donate to the Indiegogo campaign when it comes out in uh, January, mm-hmm. then um, there's a lot of cool perks. You know, you got your simple perks, simple thank you online or a video thank you. Um, you know, go up a couple bucks. You can get one of the few very limited uniforms from the actual team members on the movie signed with helmet. Um, or you could, you know, donate. I think there's like four of the producer title perk where I think it's like 20,000. But that's somebody that that's like a producer and they see it. And they're like, okay, I'll, I could throw this into this movie. But they get a whole plethora of stuff, posters, everything. But they also get to fly uh, to a secret location and, and train with Leonid Volkov, three-time world champion. And they train with him all day uh, to learn how to fly by the best. So, um, And they also get to go to Spain in 2022's win games with uh, cast members who will probably be competing in, in the competitions anyway. Um, and, you know, have lunch. And there was a whole bunch of great perks. Uh, and um, I'm still working on it. I'm, I'm getting it all typed in. There's a lot of it, yeah. um, a lot of information for people that want to help and support. Like I said, it, it, it's, it's a lot to you and me. I mean, 500K, geez, that's half a mil. Well, maybe there's but stuff that it, people could do, like this show and many others. Uh, and maybe you could, like, give out, clips of or stuff like that with a, with a spiel like a minute or two long that people could play for their shows and or, or visual enhancements for their audiences uh, right. ask for donations as well as spread the word about it and for them to spread it to keep it going. I think that are you going to do stuff like that? Because then, you know, my listeners oh, yeah. here would definitely like to see this progress as well and help out as as they can. Oh, yes, and, and- I am not one. I, I'm not a fan of money. Um, yeah, me neither. But, but, but you know, you know, it's like a like a parent. You'll do anything. So I'm asking for money <laughs> for my baby. Yeah, so my baby I, can grow. I do that too. Maybe something. You know, because let, 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 let me just let me just say this real quick about it. The, the aspect of the whole sports mm-hmm. mentality is that if you look at what's going on with the world right now, which we all are in the middle of it, yeah. and what it's done to sports. A lot of people are changing the channel. They're yep. finding other things to do, but and because they're sick of the BS, they're sick of the contracts, they're sick of the politics, and then and they're getting on the knees and well, not getting on the knees. All this blah 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 blah. Right. If this movie can imprint that, maybe not on people your and I's age, you know, you know that last generation of common sense, and you know, show the younger generation, hey, here's a better way of of having fun. And, and and getting and making really good friendships with people and, and not having that that animosity towards other people just because they have a different uniform on. Yeah. You know? Um, I mean, Jesus, isn't that what the dream team was all about? To yeah. bring guys from all these other teams onto one team? You yeah. know? Um, anyway, so hey, let, you wanna talk some crazy shit or, or what? Oh, heck yeah, heck yeah. You know, but, but um Actually, that would be probably a good spot to head off to a break and then come back okay. and we could get another thing. So uh, that definitely sounds wild. So you intend on having this done at least as of now by when again? Uh, the film? 
Yeah. Oh, I, I would like. To, I, I would like to. I mean, right. this is now. We're talking. We're talking. No more big major hookups. No, you know, no Armageddon or nuclear war or some crazy shit like that. Right. Everything. And, and I could get my people over here. Then yes, uh, I am hoping for either a December release in 2021. That ain't bad. Or or a summertime release. Uh, actually, I'm thinking a spring break time release that way the kids are out they go see the movie and then they can have that week to go try it out and they're going to go back to school and tell all their friends like dude let's build teams that's that's the goal right is to to light that fire plant that seed in these young kids who are sitting there well i can't play mommy and daddy won't let me you know play with johnny because it's a contact sport go in the damn tube man fly around that wind is going 180 or, or like 100 Depends on your size and your weight, of course. It can go from like a uh, hundred miles an hour, you know, almost to two hundred miles an hour, uh, possibly more in certain certain fans. Um, but uh, yeah, if you sneeze or cough, it ain't gonna get two inches past your face before it shoots straight up, you know. <laughs> so, and and plus you got a helmet on and and, and a mask and, and goggles and all that. So right. um, they're really really good about being. Uh, very safe about all you know when you're done they throw stuff away and spray new stuff and um i fly uh, i i i have i've been there one two three times and, and it's they're just really good it's a great place if you do, if you've never flown go do it now if you have shoulder injuries if you got like a bionic shoulder or something like that go talk to your doctor first okay before you make a reservation out there because your arms have to go up. If you ever seen somebody skydive, it's their, their, their legs are out, their arms are out. Yeah. And, um, you know, if you've got like a shoulder injury, it's going to, it's going to hurt your shoulder. It's just going to wear on because the air pressure. So just know that. Um, uh, but if, I mean, if you don't have, if you're missing an arm or a leg, they have ways of, of uh, going in there with you so you can still fly nice. and they'll help you. Um, it, that's what I thought was really cool. I don't have any amputees in my film and, in the first one at least, but uh, I do have deaf actors um, that will be flying in it. So, uh, you know, handicapped people would love that. You know, that, that you brought up something good there. Cause that, you know, would inspire handicapped and make special programs. Maybe they could get grants and stuff they do. to apply to the handicapped. Yep. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I don't know if they, if they use, if they get the, uh, the grants, but I do know that uh, the facility we're going to be using, and I'll just tell you who it is. It's I Fly El Paso, mm-hmm. and so they're they're right there on the border, um, and it's a brand new facility, and they do stuff like that. Where the, I think it's a one weekend or a day a month or a certain amount of time each month, they shut it down, and they'll have ex you know amputee military vets and kids all that. And they just spend the whole day with them, letting them experience what everybody else gets to experience. And, um, you know, the whole the whole thing with the, the hearing impaired uh, actors, um, you know, uh, one of my teachers who's going to be in the film, uh, she's an, a real life uh, hearing impaired instructor and, and uh, translator. Mm-hmm. So I said, I want you to do it because, you know, you, you know what you're doing. So. Uh, she's gonna pick me some some uh, some of her people. Uh, she we're, she's keeping a surprise. I don't know who it is. I don't know who it is, and that's okay. I don't mind. 
They're going to be in there, and and she's going to be talking to them through the glass. So there is one advantage that the hearing impaired have over people that can hear, because you can't hear diddly squat in that thing. But if you can do sign language, you know, so I think that's kind of cool. And, uh, yeah, so it's an amazing thing, an amazing sport. Um, I highly encourage anybody that's ever even dreamed that you wake up and you go, oh, it's flying. It's probably a premonition of you doing this. So check it out. Look for iFly. And there's Aerodium and some other uh, places. Just look up uh, indoor skydiving facilities on your Google near, near you, wherever you are in the world. They're all over the world. They're in shopping malls. They're in Vegas. Um, they are. And what, what, what did drug dealers say? Just got to try it once, man. That's all it takes. Just try it once. <laughs> Michael Dean in the <laughs> chat wrote, uh, they'll need uh, turbo fans to get him off the ground. And do they make 40-inch, 48-inch waist suits? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, no, just I call call the facility because each one's have different power because they you know come out at different times in the past 30 years. So there's uh, there's been upgrades or, or better versions that are more powerful. Um, you know, there's, there's a variety of designs. I, I've been told by flyers, they're like, I'll fly at this kind of facility, but not this kind of facility because the airflow is too bumpy. There's too much burble is what they call it. Huh. Uh, you know, um, and so, yeah, I learned a lot. And when I jumped into it, it was a complete, <laughs> it was an accident out of, uh, being starstruck. And I and I and I said too much. But how, how anyway, much you got? I'm how sorry, much time you, you got flying? Yes, but before we go, how much time you got flying in there? In any of them? Oh me? Yeah, personally. Oh God. Uh, I got I got I think it was like 15 minutes total. You do them in two minute intervals, and then you let the next guy go, and you just and tell you're hooked. You're hooked. It was like three or four people. Uh huh. Oh God, yeah. Oh, I I was laughing like wildly. All of you. They. They're, the first time you ever do it, and they keep you in a national tracking thing. So if you go to anywhere else, they know what level you're on. So they know what to teach you and what not to teach you because you haven't passed the other levels yet. Um, and because, you know, I, t- I was like, you know, I'm going to film a movie at your place. They're like, oh, give them the good one. <laughs> so they, they, the first one, they put me in there and, I, you know, they let me go. And I, I'm floating, falling, floating, doing my thing, bumping in the walls. And then I get it. And then it's my last turn, and the guy takes me and he grabs your arm and your legs. They got these little cotton rod things that they can hold on to, right. and he starts swinging you around in a circle faster and faster and faster. Next thing you know, you're going up like a tornado, and wow. he's only supposed to go up like ten feet. Nah, he took me up all thirty feet. First time, I'm looking down. I'm like, oh god, I hope you like me. You know, that's that's the secret to skydiving is you find out if God really likes you. So there's no fear. <laughs> like when you jump out of a plane, you have a fear of hitting the ground. What about in these things? You have a fear of hitting the roof? Um, I mean, I don't know. I mean, sure you could. I've seen guys go up and then they go upside down and they'll walk on the, on the fan grid oh God. Or, or, the, or the vent grid and, and then, and then walk the other side and come down. Um, I've got a video where these guys, and I'm, I, I am, I'm implementing it into my film, but they did this uh, uh, wind tunnel Olympics. So wow. they had running, 
they had high jump, they had soccer, they did karate, wow. and then they did swimming. Where they're they're in there with just like you know you know those little shorts, bare naked, just swimming, and the skin is all rippling and stuff from the fan. It was hilarious. <laughs> um, and then there's some other things that are gonna some surprises up my sleeve. Let me just, let me just say this. My my idea is to start the movie off like like James Bond with the silhouettes. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. Huh? Yeah. So, anywho, yeah. So uh, I'm sure you're, I'm sure people are like need to go to the bathroom or something. Yeah, definitely. Uh, <laughs> yeah, with that, break? yeah, with that, uh, yeah, for about uh, five or six minutes. Just uh, please mute your mic or whatever you got going on there, sir. And everyone else, I mean, I think about that. that. Oh, that is awesome. Because think about that, people, man. As you pack them and smoke them, you can literally fly high. Now, that would be something. And on other type of acrobatics, you know, you know, maybe with a lover, that would be ultimate, too, wouldn't it? But uh, so, again, yeah. pack them and smoke them because you're definitely going to need them when we come back. <laughs> it is awesome. All right. All right. Talk to you soon. I'll be back. Don't run. We are your friends. If you are a listener of the Martian Revelation, then you are well aware that the entire planet Earth is currently involved in an all-out worldwide space race. Every country across the globe, including England, Germany, India, Russia, and China, are involved in a mad Martian rush to be the first country to plant their flag on Mars. Get an idea of what these brave astronauts will be finding on the planet Mars before President Trump plants the first American boots on the face of Mars. You might want to familiarize yourself with George Haas and get to know his work and read his books. Haas has been studying NASA and European Space Agency imagery of Mars for over 25 years and has co-authored two books with geomorphologist William Saunders called the Cydonia Codex and the Martian Codex. I encourage you all to support his research by visiting his website at www.thecydoniainstitute.com. And remember, as George Haas has always said, through NASA's own pictures, the truth will be revealed.
Gary Legier, your host, the Mars Revealer, known also as the Mad Martian. Of course, you're listening to the Martian Revelation that's upon you all again now. And we're with our guest, Doc Skinner. But hey, if anyone would like, who knows, pick up the little phone there, press your buttons, 202-684-6955. 202-684-6955. One more, 202 202- 684-6955. We blew the cobwebs off the timeline. You never know who or what may chime in. But anyway, uh, we're back with Doc. And uh, now, oh, sounds like you're packing and smoking them too. Sounds good. And that's the way it should be, you know. But uh, I'll tell you what, Doc. Uh, I know there's many other things about you that you would like to get into or uh, touch pass across. Can you uh, tell us about uh, this video that I put the preview up to? On the show page, uh, I believe you just uh, put it up on Facebook, announced it yesterday, I think, uh, Countdown to Disclosure. It's a little two-minute preview there for you listeners out there. Can you tell us about that and, uh, you know, what, what because you said that you took part in it or helped put it together, or what's the story on that? Well, yeah, yeah. Um, I filmed a, a little, uh, some, some parts in it. Um, I'm, I'm uh, actually working on another part. I'm helping with the editing. I, th- I think it's this one. They, these guys, I don't know if you know who Blake and Brent Cousins are with Third Phase of Moon, but they no, I never met them, this. but I heard them on and watched the show, of course. Yeah, and, and uh, they've been on for 15 or 17 years. Yeah, and they have had everybody on, um, but there's two of them, so you know they're twins, and so they get a lot done really fast. And they are popping out documentaries and special reports like, almost every day. It seems like now we do have these certain ones that take. God, we we were we were working on one that kind of fell through for like three months, um, just on one story alone. And we work on multiples, you know, uh, we'll drive across country. We've got Apollo Steria, Dr. J, um, Rich Gano from Goofon Radio, um, uh, a couple others, and a whole bunch of scientists, Dr. Stephen Greer, Dr. Salas. And um, just the, the fact that I'm on a show, the number one UFO channel, and I'm like one of those guys on Ancient Aliens, you know, and, right. and, I'm, and, and I've and I'll tell you, I don't have books. Um, I don't have, you know, documentaries or anything coming out. And these guys, I feel like the redheaded stepchild on the panel, to be honest with you, <laughs> because they are so freaking smart. And when I'm on there, uh, especially if we're doing like the call-in, we're all on together. Um, I, you know, I, I'm just glad they let me go first. Because I, I would just feel because they just they're so much smarter than me. <laughs> but it's an amazing show, and this uh, documentary is coming out. I think was it January twenty second? Was that was that the date? Uh, I, uh, I gotta open it. And look. Let me see here. Hopefully, the sound. Uh, play. Yeah. Let's see. But. Um, yeah, the Cousins Brothers, the quality just gets better and better. They've put out movies. They've won awards from, like, Lucas Film Festivals, from Lucas himself for Star Wars parodies that they did and all kinds of things. And uh, They were the, the two guys that literally started paparazzi in Hawaii, you know, getting, like, $60,000 in photos and stuff. I mean, they, they had a team of guys. And, 
And then that kind of stopped. And then they realized they wanted to go into this and, and they've been doing this ever since. And uh, it's just been the two of them, you know, mm-hmm. doing it all. And um, then an incident happened with uh, uh, a certain, I don't know what I'll say it to, but a certain organization um, and uh, one of the head guys got in some trouble. And one of my my listeners actually lived in that neighborhood and said, oh, my gosh, this certain high up guy, uh, you know, is being arrested. So I couldn't find anything. I couldn't find anything to verify it except for the local police department on their Facebook page. They said, yeah, we've arrested this individual. So I'm like, oh, OK, this is legit. So I went live with it. And uh, not until three days. And then, you know, of course, it, it was in the news later and all that. But um, I found out by a phone call from Blake and Brent. They called me and said, uh, do you realize you broke that story? And I'm like, I kind of have a feeling, but I'm, I'm usually the guy who gets the shit into the stick. So I just didn't worry about it. <laughs> and they're like, um, they're like, we want you to come on board. We're going to try something new. And uh, they put the panel together. And it's been going strong ever since uh, during the whole lockdown thing. And, and right. um, uh, you know, Paula she's been getting some really amazing interviews in California. She, she even did a trip to uh, Area 51 to the gate. Nice. And um, did, did this. It, it's more like a spoof from entry. <laughs> but, uh, you know, she likes to have fun. Um, but, it, yeah, it's going to have a lot of crazy stuff in there because um, things are coming out. Uh, I, nowadays I'm afraid to say anything like the word disclosure because everybody throws, okay, well, it's not going to happen. It's not really happening. No, no, no. So I, just, I don't want to get in the argument other than the news is out there. You know, the press has been out there saying, Hey, I know something, <laughs> you know, and people are saying inside sources are saying that he, he wants to say something. Others are saying he can't because he's got, he's, he's struck a, a, a renewal deal that from the Eisenhower era to, uh, still keep everything secret because the uh, aliens um, don't think we are ready as, uh, what's his name, uh, uh, Aziz or something. He was the four-star general for the Israeli space division. Yeah, that came out on, something on years. like a week or two ago. Yeah. Exactly. And, 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 and now I've been seeing these newscasts from all over the world where, where they speak English, so I can hear what they're saying and, Right. Um, they're in, in in all the Pakistanis and Indians are like, oh, this Israeli guys come out. He says aliens are real. The people are talking about it. Of course, we're gonna, you know, you would think we're gonna talk it down or dismiss it right away. But here's the thing, we're not. We're discussing it. Tucker Carlson is is like, I wouldn't say spearheading it, but he's one of the people that are really coming out there, talking about it on a national broadcast. Whether you like Fox or not, I don't care. It's the fact that the information it needs is being to be. Out. It ne- exactly, right. it needs to be, and it's a uh, high time, pun intended, uh, that I do. I'm uh, as an independent Mars researcher for all these years, since '98, and in these fields, uh, you know, and also doing this show off and on throughout that time. Long story short, and my own experiences, you know, if uh, people would not be feeling so crazy they'll be more and willing and compelled to come out and speak and not feel so bad because of the reality of what these crafts 
could be and uh, probably are manipulating through time and space is a big part of them it seems that opens the door especially for like the experiences I have had personally as well as I believe other members of my family in the past as well as many others and uh, and that's what fascinates me is because there's many questions that come out from that regardless than of a witness or of a particular experience regards to UFO, there's a lot more uh, that's on a person's mind than than just the obvious of how fascinating that would be for someone to even say one, you know, I mean, and, and the thing is, we're at a point in time based on bookings where all these years, it has been on a scale of being put to us, you know, like a giggle factor applied, and you know what I'm saying for all those years, especially what we grew up with, right. where videos were starting to even change from uh, the early 2000s, from the traditional norm of the 80s and 90s, always the giggle factor. You had the dominating, uh, you know, naysayers. Then that started weaning off, and now look where we're at with a whole new name, UAPs uh-huh. instead of UFOs, and based on Brookings to where... You know, basically mix it in with a whole bunch of bullshit, like in movies and audios, get put the worst case scenarios a lot, or just with bullshit. So if anything, if anything, to acclimate us. But now we're at a time based on Brookings, to where we must be told. And that news news article I read, and even uh, others that are saying that they're wanting to be seen themselves. And uh, Robert O'Dean, didn't he say, you know, hey, they're just going to come to a time when, you know, they think that we need to know. They're just going to start appearing. And uh, and in a way, that's kind of what's going on now because it seems like a lot of these craft at some points uh, do want to be seen. They're doing things to make themselves known. Uh, what is your opinion on that, especially regarding the, any attributes to these craft? Which, uh, to me, uh, again, Tucker's spearheading it, and it's not getting as much juice as it should. Oh, yeah. No. Well, it's because of the distractions of all the other things going on in the world with, uh, well, with Everything, all the distractions. Right. And so um, I think uh, I've seen some weird things in my time. I have seen... Uh, what I knew right away was not an alien craft. It was a UAV or a, not UAV. It was a, a TR-3B mm-hmm. and it flew right over my mountain town. Um, probably about 10 feet, 15 feet over the tops of the pine trees. It was that low and it was going very, very slow. Like it was uh, kind of like just floating in water and it was going with the tide. Nice. That's it was that slow, and later I realized that's because the slower it goes, the more the stabilizers are working. The faster it goes, the more stable it is, the kind of thing. Hmm. Um, but it was silent. It was three pulsing red dots. We were getting out of a car. It was exactly seven o'clock on a Thursday night, and I looked up, and the first, you know, split second was oh, towers. And I'm like, wait, I work here. <laughs> there are no towers there. And then I saw it was moving. And I'm like, I told my friends, there's two of them. They're local radio jocks because uh, we were going there for a radio promotion to this place. And uh, I said, look, look, look. And one of them, who was always skeptic, was like, no, it's not. Oh, my God, they're moving. I was like, I told you. <laughs> and so, um, you know, I reported it to uh, MUFON and whatnot. 
Um, but I knew exactly what it was. And no sound. Looking back at it, no sound. Completely silent. Completely silent. And uh, looking back, I'm, I'm a little disappointed. I didn't have the that little boy feeling like in Close Encounters when he's looking up out through the the patio door and he goes toys, you know. Yeah. <laughs> he sees all those ships, yeah. you know. I was kind of bummed I didn't have that feeling, you know, <laughs> but uh, more like, oh, I know what it is. Um, and uh, I, I have I, nothing that I would report, you know, could have been shooting stars. I try to be realistic about things, I'll, I'll, even though I'm maybe set on, OK, that's what I saw. I'm still going to step back and go, but I'm going to play the devil's advocate with myself because I, I've had to learn to do that being on third phase of mode. Because I used to get all excited about stuff, but on there, um, they're no joke. I mean, we, we have gotten excited about the things and found out, oh, damn, it wasn't what we thought it was. Um, but because uh, it, it's that excitement, we, we want we want that verification for ourselves, not just someone telling us, right. you know. And I think I think that's why there's so many people out there searching and, and staying out in the middle of the desert with their binoculars all night, you know, because they want they're at that point in their life. If they're doing that, they, they don't care what anybody else thinks unless they're documenting it on camera. Uh, they, they just want it for themselves because that will be like the buck stops there. Well, that's the key you know? right there because a lot of people don't even look up. And that's step one, right. look up. They're, look, they're looking down at their phones, right, yep. or, or iPads. Mm-hmm. So um, now let me ask you something. Do you know, when did you first find out about the secret space program? Well, not Space Force. The Secret Space Program. Well, I've I've heard about it from the early two thousands. Uh, you know, just slips and glimmers and rumors, and you know, uh, people's fascinating talks uh, or conversations. You know how bulletin boards were back then. It's not the same anymore, uh-huh. and stuff like that. But then, you know, you started having certain individuals come forth more and more with, about experiences, and then bringing that out all the more. But they, but the more I looked, and you know, there's contradictions amongst each other. You know, they can't, right. they can't, if they're a part of the same thing, they can't all be different, can they? Well, maybe they can. Well, but, uh, what but that's, the compartmental, that's, that's the compartmentalizing of the projects, though. You know, and oh, they would give misinformation to, yeah. to, uh, to people in certain departments about other departments, you know, so they'd be, it, it'd always be off. So... Because that's now, a big factor of all this, of these UFOs, too, potentially, that it's ours and uh, not alien-related right, right. and whatnot. And so, uh, and I think those are the ones, I think that's what people see, and because it's something they've never seen before, immediately, a trigger effect, aliens, right. instead of, why couldn't, I mean, we, we, we went to the moon with a fuel rocket, you know, what was it, 1960-something, right? Mm-hmm. Like, or 70 or whatever. Right. Long, the, long the time early ago. 70s. Right. Okay. The early 70s. Now, now I'm sure you remember the Philadelphia experiment, Tesla and Einstein and all, all of them working on the USS Eldridge. Right. In Philadelphia and, Harbor. Right. And okay. that was, uh, I believe originally it. for cloaking, correct? Uh, at least their intention, well, I was, believe. Well, yes, that was, that was the intent um, that they told the public, but um, let's, let's, can I tell you a story? 
Oh, I yeah. can't confirm or deny. This is this, let's just call it speculation Saturday night, shall we? All right, no problem. Okay, because I don't want anybody calling. Who's not right? I'm just I just put this idea out there and wonder about it. Yeah, that's cool. Okay, inspiring. So uh, just get that little out of the way in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, so here's Einstein, and they're working with Tesla, working on the Philadelphia experiment. Uh, a lot of people didn't know both of them were involved, but Tesla had his Tesla coils and everything. And um, I'm sure you've heard of, uh, uh, we're not going to go there, but you know, you've heard of jump rooms and they involve Tesla coils. Boom. That's all I'm going to say about that. <laughs> so, um, so with that, you know, this Tesla technology that of course was probably one of the many um, trunks that disappeared. I think it was like 18 trunks out of 97 trunks that he had in, in the hotel. So something crazy, right. but a good majority of them were, were missing when they did the, uh, you know, the inventory. Right. And supposedly that was Trump's uncle when he was with the government, and he was one of the guys that went in there, or, or, or grandfather, or somebody that went in and, and grabbed it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then supposedly that technology led to other things like. Uh, uh, Project Looking Glass, I think, because of one one. Anyway, so with all of this, they they had it on the Eldridge. They had these these uh, sh- semen on there, and um, they all had supposedly for the stories I've heard had a tracking device on them, and they were on board. They turned on this thing, hoping that it would be like radar invisibility. Okay, that's right. what they were told. The guys on the ship. But there was all these devices and Tesla stuff in the engine rooms and weird things, right? Um, they hadn't seen. Just everything was connected to electronic stuff. And they powered it up, and I guess powered up too much to where not only did it disappear from radar, it disappeared from sight. And when it came back a few minutes later, it came back. There was, uh, you know, guys were walking around like they were just mad lost their minds and other other guys bodies were embedded into the steel structure of the ship and so um they learned a lot from that but it was it was a us eldridge was it was one of those i don't know if it's a submarine but it's it's one of those battleships that could go underwater if it had to but it wasn't meant to always be underwater hmm. you know what ship i'm kind of ship i'm talking about I remember I remember I don't I didn't know it was a submarine though. I thought it was a a, a destroyer or something like that. But then again, I don't remember. I, I, I remember think it maybe it was a destroyer, but whatever the ship was, right. fast forwarding to 1980. Mm-hmm. All right. 1980, which actually it oh wow, I just this just hit me just now. Mm-hmm. In the movie, holy crap. I just now put this together. In the movie um, the Philadelphia experiment, two brothers who were on board the ship, when they all disappeared, they were literally in a worm tunnel, basically like Dr. Who. And they were seeing all kinds of weird stuff going around the ship and, uh, guys freaking out on fire. We're just craziness, anarchy. And so they both jumped off the ship while it was in this wormhole and in the movie and, and the, the, the lore of, of the, it's, a, it's not a real guy. I forgot his name right now. I apologize. Um, and he, he's told this story that he traveled into the future into 1980. <laughs> so where I am in 1980, I think I'm in like first or second grade. And I would come home every day 
And there was a cartoon series. It was a Japanimation cartoon dubbed in English mm-hmm. called All Star Blazers. And it was about a Japanese uh, military naval crew working on a battleship that could fly. All right. The Yamato. Yes, the Emoto, you know of it. You know that there's actually a live action film, which is pretty awesome. I think I just found that today, Doc. Uh, As a matter of fact, without me taking up your time, let me ask you. I wanted to ask you this real quick if this is the one or if there were other ones. It's called Space Battleship Yamoto 2010, English dub. That's it. Okay. That's it. All right. I'm going to have to get into it. Yeah. So so, so, so here's the puzzle pieces that I'm going to connect. Okay. All right. With Tesla's technology on there, it could. What if they did time travel? Because it disappeared and came back. Supposedly went to another harbor and then came back. I, I'm not sure, but yeah, I heard uh, was that too. Yeah. Either way, so there's that. What if they learned to turn it down to where they could put these devices on there and literally levitate it? Okay, now think about this. Now, if you have that ability, maybe using. Um, uh, Oh, crap. It's the energy that they ter- – toroidal energy. If you could use toroidal a toroidal engine like they have on a, a TR-3B, mm-hmm. which allows it to just levitate, if you had those a long time ago, thanks to Tesla, and you were able to put that system into a submarine, now you have the possibility of a spacecraft. That's because funny you brought that up, tight. Doc. That's funny you brought that now, up. Last week, now I, think uh, about think about all those long tube ships that have been seen by people. Yes, the not the Tic Tacs, the, the long c- cigar ones. shaped ones. Now, last week's cigar, guest, yes. last week's guest I had on, uh, well, he, he calls well, he's known as Sword, and he uh, states that uh, M thirty three that the secret space program or Masons. He wants to come back on again. By the way. Uh, According to Colby Branson, he was the other guest. Now, he claims that that's what they've been doing up there. And when they were using the shuttles, they would use things. To, because on the previous show I had on with him, not this past time, but a couple times before that, I asked, well, how did you, they get all these materials up? One, he said, you know, they bring astronauts and some people, I believe, through the happy-go-pukey, he calls it. Basically, it, it, a, a, jet, a jet, I mean, not jet, air-pressurized uh, launch system somewhere in Alaska that'll push them out at who knows how many mocks into orbit. Now, the other one, he says that they could bring stuff up when the shuttles would used to go up the space shuttles at the middle tank used to be storage for a lot of materials and that they would build these submarine, <laughs> these submarine class ships in space. And, okay, uh, all right. I, I, I got something cool to tell you about that, about okay. the space. All right. And you can actually, I wonder if you could. I wonder if it's still up. It probably is. Let me look real quick. I'd like to hear what um, he says to you, or if you have no, heard no, no, anything this, this, familiar to that. No, no. Check this out. So there's a company, Space. Whoop, wait, hold on. I got to put the word "group" in there. Um, Space Island Group, mm-hmm. and based out of uh, Ontario, California. And yeah, no, it, it finally they took it down because they're upgrading it. Um, but, uh, back in 98, I was DJing at Disney world and, um, my aunt was working for Hilton and we were having lunch one night and she goes, you, or, or dinner at one of the hotels. And she goes, you never believe what uh, Hilton just did today. And, uh, this is 
this is 1998. So, you know, this, I'm not like breaking any rules telling you about this. That's what it all um, opened to me Mars. 1998. Well, you know, what's it? Yeah, 1998, um, Hilton signed a contract with a company called Space Island Group out of California mm-hmm. to be the first hotel in space. A ring space station made up of previous shuttle mission external tanks left in orbit. The uh, ends would come off. They would release the any leftover fuel inside. And then you have a tank. If you lay it on its side, it's three stories high. On its launch pad, it's 16 stories high. Okay, so you take these, you put couplings from end to end and then use old side rocket boosters as spokes. Then another tank in the middle is, as your, uh, you know, uh, control center. Then you spin it with a little bit. You got solar panels on each tank um, and uh, you have a wheel space station that holds 300 people comfortably like a cruise ship with one third gravity. So, you know, people aren't going to complain about their weight as much, but it'll make everything exotic, dancing and all that. And. So when she told me this, and she said, Sir Arthur C. Clarke is one of the advisors to the company, the guy who wrote 2000 Space Odyssey. So, of course, I'm 20, I'm not even 21 yet, working in the hottest bar in, in uh, Orlando. And um, uh, I hear this, and I said, well, are they going to have entertainment in this hotel? She goes, probably, like, like a bar? She goes, yeah. Well, so they are going to need entertainment. She goes, yeah. I said, well, then I want to be the first DJ in space. I want to DJ literally to the world. And she goes, well, I don't know how you keep the records on. I said, great. I said, I said, Aunt Fran, there's CDs. You should try one. So, <laughs> um, so for years, I, uh, well, actually, it was in 99, um, Gene Myers, the president of Space Island Group. This was before Virgin, okay? Let me just get that. No, there was no Virgin Galactic. There was no SpaceX. There was no Bob Bigelow. I mean, there was Bob Bigelow, but he wasn't doing anything yet. Or Branson. We were first. Right. Right. Or Branson. Yeah. Yeah. And um, so uh, we, we were going to build this. And a lot of people scoffed because they're like, ha there's really no money in hotels and space. Blah, blah, blah. Well, I know now why we didn't succeed in that because they didn't want tourists seeing what's going on up there. Right. So that all makes sense now. But but for years, you know, we were just being dragged on and dragged on about it. Um, and uh, so we decided, or Gene, the engineer that, you know, had the Space Island Group, he uh, decided, he, he found out about Tesla technology that Raytheon and NASA had been working on in the 70s, wireless electricity, taking electricity, converting it into a radio frequency, zapping it from a, a, a radar dish or satellite dish to, uh, it, it, on excuse me, during the experiment, they were in the desert and they had satellite dish. And up on the mountain, they had a bunch, like four telephone poles with lights going at each one of them and a sensor next to them. And they took the electricity, converted it into that frequency, zapped it up from the dish to those array of diodes made by Raytheon. And they would light up in corresponding, showing the wave pattern of the beam. And it was a full beam and lit up all the lights almost a mile away. So... Gene said, well, we'll put up solar panels, get hooked up with Raytheon, and we'll have solar panels along these 17-story length, you know, uh, chambers, and there's like 15 or 16 of them in a ring. So that's a crap load of solar panels all aimed at the sun, no atmosphere or diffusion from, you know, the layers above our Earth. And so it's like on steroids, right? Mm-hmm. Take that into one of the tanks, which is like the generator room or whatever, 
you power that up, that powers up everything on, on board the craft. And then um, everything left over, we zapped down to the Earth where along like a satellite path around the Earth, there's a rays of, of it looks like chain link net two miles wide in the desert in some areas. And as that as those um, as we're going around, um, uh, the uh, energy or the electricity, the frequency sat down, hits those chain link vent like things, those antennas and converts it back into electricity, providing it to whoever. So we were we were like on top of this stuff. And it'll go down in history as we got no, we'll, we'll probably get no credit for it. I don't know, unless somebody does a documentary on it. Hmm. But um, yeah, I was going to be the first DJ in space. I even became friends with George Clinton, godfather of funk, because I went up to him and was like, hey man, you really want to play the, from, the, from the mothership? <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, all right, let's do it. But uh, but then nine eleven happened right when we were about to have thirty billion dollars come in to, to build this. I mean, like like um, like Branson, you know, he, he built his own little spaceport. Well, we were going to do the same thing in, in Texas. So uh, and, and Gene, you know, he was a an astrological engineer or whatever, you know, smart guy, rocket engineer guy. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so when I got a hold of him. I, I told him, I was like, hi, you know, I'm Doc Skinner with uh, 1020 Productions. And actually, I had another company named back then with my, uh, my ex-wife and kids. It was uh, called uh, All Four Management. And um, you know, I, I just told him my background. And at the end of it, he said, well, look, you know, we're a bunch of rocket scientists and engineers and stuff, but we don't know anything about sports or music or entertainment. Was, would, ten, would All Four Management like to run the entertainment division of Space Island Group? And I was just like, What? <laughs> I'm like, I don't think anybody can top that on their resume, you know? And then it went from that to entertainment and sports management uh, 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 director for the zero gravity sports industry. You know, I was coming up with little ideas of uh, like, kind of like jetpacks, but also wristbands that had little, little poofs of air so that um, you can, now imagine one of those big tanks. Okay. Let's have some fun. All right. Since we're talking about space. It's always serious and war and all. Let's let's have some fun about space. Oh, so yeah. you got this. You got one tank in this ring station that's sixteen stories long, three stories high. Well, you hollow that out. That's one freaking big arena, right? Yeah. And then you could have panels. All right, panels that have holes in them. All right, along like like you get like uh, Swiss cheese layers in a sense. And you've got to get through these holes to get to the other side and get your flag and, and maybe come back. But you got guys you got to get past, okay? Right. And then once you get to that hole, once you get to that hole, around those holes, there'll be two or three little pocket air jets that will shoot in a precise direction that's almost like an air cone, like, like, like a cone shape. And you've got to get through that to get through the hole. So, I mean, I was thinking of, of, of weird stuff like that. Um, you know, I do. I I have to look up all the paperwork, but yeah, we, I was working on all that, working on concerts from space. Um, I was actually during the rage scene that was like in 2000, uh, was going around trying to recruit the world's best DJs to get on board with this. Cause by, um, 2001, we were supposed to, you know, start getting this puppy going in, in uh, in collaboration with the movie 2001 space Odyssey because of, Sir Arthur was a part of the team at the time, so before he died. Um, so yeah, that's just funny you mentioned that, and that's that that 
I just want that to be known because um, I don't want that little bit of unknown history to be swept under the rug and forgotten. Because, um, you know, Space Force came out with their general, the guy, head guy of Space Force, um, first press conference. And he's talking about the, um, the, the heads, the, the steps forward in technology that they would bring to the world. And I shit you not, that son of a bitch brought up freaking wireless electricity. I almost lost my crap. I called up Gene Myers. Did you hear? That's why they didn't let us get through this. They were saving it for themselves. Yeah. So, anyway. Um, and, uh, God, I will tell you that I wish I was 20. I would so, I would, I would want to be a guardian in the Space Force. That's I mean, right. They're called guardians now. And, you know, it's right, even right. more implicating, you know, uh, in my opinion. Again, like President Trump and Mike Pen- and Vice President Mike Pence on selling up the Space Force so fast to create a branch of the military, their excuses were, especially President Trump, that it's not just to protect us from the obvious threats here on Earth or from the obvious needs to protect low Earth orbit and how the world runs and our national security, yada, yada, how our world works, but from the threats coming from deep space. Very implicating. And, oh. and that's not just talking, uh, you know, asteroid, asteroids or meteors. It's connected to the UFO bone. Yeah. Well, we're working with third phase of moon. I'll tell you, I have seen some just crazy, amazing stuff. Granted, I've right. also seen crazy, amazing stuff that we have discovered. Okay, we wanted it to be real. We really did, but in the in the truth of the matter, it was Chinese lanterns from a high school homecoming. <laughs> you know, um, that just happened to make a really cool shape in the sky. But you got to investigate um, it. Hey, no matter how it turns out, you got to investigate it. Where the data goes, yeah. and if it turns out to be that fine, you you know, it's fun. Just chalk it up as experience and uh, comparative analysis in the future, if any. It really is, and it, and it's hard. Because, you know, I've been in the entertainment industry, so I'm like, you know, big and bold. You know, once you work for Spielberg and Disney, you can't think small. So everything, everything's got to be, ooh, this is it, this is it. Um, but literally, Blake and Brent have taught me that, no, you have to play devil's advocate even with yourself. Yeah. And, um, it, you know, it took me a minute to, to do it because I'm like, oh, I just really wanted to be a UFO, you know? Yeah. <laughs> you know, but... You can't. And fortunately, a lot of people do that. And then sometimes it can overshadow the ones of us that are trying to say, but let's look at it re- in a realistic way. Yeah. Um, but no, it, I, I, I'm just going to, I will claim it right now. This is my testimony this Saturday night going yeah. into Sunday, right? <laughs> yeah. So um, get, get, get our gospel on. Um, UFOs are real mm-hmm. or UAVs, whatever you want to call it, millennials. Um, and, uh, Aliens are real, but you know our military is is known to um, fabricate it, even dress up as them and do abductions and whatnot. So, you know, now that's what the Israeli uh, that's what the ex Israeli uh, intelligence guy also said was that the U.S. Uh, was working with them, and not only here or obviously around Earth, but also on a base under the surface of Mars. Listeners to this show here can appreciate it. We call them the subsurface illegals. Here we come. Yeah, well, you, you know you know, we, we, we're up there, right? Mm-hmm. You do know that's okay. Because there's been reports that we've, over time, think about all those missing people yeah. that always disappear in the woods. 
that if you lay those disappearance maps on top of the cave systems, they always seem to be right on top. Mm. So either they could be feeding or they could be taking them as slaves or, or, or workers and, and uh, getting them up there one way, whether it's through these um, cigar ships, the TR-3Bs that take them to the moon, to the dark side, to the, you know, the transport international airport that they got up there, whatever spaceport. Right. Um, and then go from there to there. Um, yeah. I, I don't, I, I just don't understand why people still, it's called cognitive dissonance. I know what it is, but right. it, I feel like with everything of us being locked down and, and, and let's all be scared and grounded to our rooms, which we all did willingly. Let me just say this. Have you ever wondered if you would have ever bowed down to 1930s Germany? <laughs> well, what are you doing right now? Exactly. You know, not you individually, but I'm just saying in general. What they're trying and, to do to society um, all over the world for this global reset to destroy this nation and others to make a new world order who are the ones, if anything, in my opinion, and I'm coming to realize that it's their secret space program out there and maybe also why they need many more boosts to create a space force well if Trump's draining the swamp and the swamp's really the new world order network all over the world well some yep. service illegals here we come right I mean well, I'm not saying know, that is what it is but to me that's a logical step yeah you know there's there's a guest that I uh, if you haven't had him on have you ever had Doctor? Yeah, he doesn't like being called to the doctor, but just Brooks Agnew. Oh uh, yes, I have. Actually, I got to get him on again. Yes. Okay. Well, He's so you've heard, you have you heard about his uh, space mining programs? And he uh, talks also about space up, mining. Yes, he has talked a little of that, and as well as uh, his future plans and his to his trips to the uh, to the Arctic, the, and I think the Antarctic is going to be coming up. Yeah, actually, did, did I talk to you about that? Uh, he did before. Oh, he did. Well, uh, so so Brooks, Brooks is a I, I, he's a brother to me. I love that man. Um, oh, maybe he, we he should get a show with both of you one together. Maybe we should get a show with both of you yeah. one together one of these days. That would be cool. But go ahead. Well, it will be because does checks out. So he calls me one morning. Well, I'm actually. Uh, I'm on, I'm on the paperwork with him for his book series that we're going to make into a trilogy, either a, a made for you know, like Netflix series or a film. We don't know yet, but uh, uh, we're working on that. But he called me one morning and he goes, Hey, good morning. I'm like, morning. And he goes, um, can you check out my site for, for the uh, North Pole inner earth expedition? That's the one. And I'm like, Oh yeah, sure. So, so he sends, sends me the link and uh, I look at it. I'm like, Oh yeah, it's great. Great. Good job. Good job. He goes, that ah, cool, cool. So, what do you think about you know? Did you look at it all? I'm like, uh, well, I had a picture on the front. <laughs> you know, he he woke me up early that morning because he, he's like on East Coast time, you know. So right. I was just like, right. I looked. I was like, oh, cool. It's a big boat, you know. And he goes, no, no, no. Go through the pages. So I go to the website and uh, there's the about section, you know, about the team, and it's got him. As a team expedition leader, um, it's got uh, uh, world explorer Brad Olson on there, yeah. and then 
and videographer Doc Skinner. I'm like, whoa, 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 what? Uh-huh. <laughs> I call him back. And he's like, oh, yeah, you're going with us. I'm like, what? <laughs> Are you kidding me? <laughs> and he's awesome. like, no, we're going to be, he goes, we're going to be, we're going to be, uh, we're going to fly over to, um, to uh, St. Petersburg, Russia. Then we're going to go to Moscow. Mm-hmm. Then we're going to go here. We're going to go there, do a little training. Then we're going to get on this brand new um, Russian nuclear icebreaker. That's like a city, a floating city, like a big cruise ship, basically. Right. But it's it's not a cruise ship. It's just the size of one. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's like 10 stories uh, or 10 floors. I mean, it's, it's anyway. No. Um, but it's a 14-day mission. And there's going to be 120 scientists and researchers on board that we're going to be collecting from different universities and people are trying to get the doctrines and stuff. And we're going to bust through the ice straight for the North Pole. Uh, if we find the entrance to the hollow earth, we're, we'll be going in. And uh, I hope to have a crap load of cameras everywhere because yeah. uh, there's going to be a lot of teams that are going to be going out on like on the ice and you know scary stuff that I'm a wuss I won't do. I'll stay on the boat. Um, and so I'm going to send them out with their little you know GoPros or DJIs or whatever and uh, just say bring me back the memory card. <laughs> I'm in here where it's warm. I'll be editing the whole trip. All right. Um, but uh, yeah, and the only reason why I you know I'm going is because I used to work as a DJ on, on Carnival Cruise Lines. Mm-hmm. And uh, Norwegian Cruise Lines and one other one for like a week. I was, you know, uh, subbing for a guy. Uh, but we were in the hurricane that went from Florida up to Maine and then did a U-turn and hit everything a second time wow. back in the 90s. Mm-hmm. And uh, and every ship was told to to port, dock, anch- drop anchor, all that stuff. And we had a guy, <laughs> we had this crazy Russian captain. He was like, we're okay. Because it's supposed to be all Italian, but he was like half Russian. He's like, I got tenure. We're going in. <laughs> yeah. And um, and we ran out of – this is a cruise ship, mind you. Right. We're talking like 1,200 people. We ran out of Dramamine, patches, pills, seasick bags. But I still had to go to work. And I had those three drunk guys in the, in the bar, and I played the Macarena four or five times watching it fall over. It was fun. <laughs> um, but, uh, but, yeah, no, it was like hitting buses. Uh, the waves that we were hitting. And when they told me that, that it was going to be like that on this, I was like, shit, I can do that. So um, I'm going to go with my little stash of Dramamine patches and pills and uh, go out there and see if we can make history and not vanish forever. Unless it's in a great, tropical, beautiful place in the center of the earth. Then, you know, no, I won't complain too much. Huh. All right. Um, I would just got a question, Michael Dean. It's kind of a good question <laughs> regards to the TR3B. Uh, he says, yeah. is 700, is 700 plus days in space enough time to reach Mars and come back? XR3B had a crew version as well. Is that different than the TR3B? Uh, yeah, the, the XR, yeah, if I'm correct, the XR3B is, it looks like a, it looks like a mini me shuttle. Ah. And uh, the the NSA really you know held the contract on that baby, and uh, it was supposed to be up for a hundred something days or maybe two hundred days, and it just kept staying up there doing its stuff. But what has kind of been leaked out or been mentioned is that this um, uh, 
XR3B that looks like a space shuttle it, unmanned stayed up there for it seems like four or five hundred days something crazy uh, oh, and yeah. was said to be spying on other satellites from other countries or possibly opening its cargo bay having an arm come out robotic arm maybe messing with stuff or taking things out of orbit or, or out of their um, trajectory Ooh, that was a good word trajectory that's fun to say um so uh, that's what that is. The, the, the TR-3B comes in two sizes. There's a, there's a mini-me of it as well, um, which is what I feel I saw with my two friends in the parking lot because it looked like the size of uh, like a normal, probably the size, a little bigger than a TR, or not TR, I mean a, a, a T-38, like a training plane. Uh-huh. Uh, NASA pilots use a T-38 right. um, in the Air Force. Uh, it's a small, small, it's like a dart in the air. Just, But I would say 30 feet in length because it's a triangle, so in every direction. But then there's a larger one that is said to be a transport TR-3B. I mean, they can all go out into space, but the larger one is for, you know, brigades or, you know, Space Force troops or, excuse me, guardians. Right. Um and uh and whatnot um there's there's many crafts out there i mean the iss on live nasa tv has caught you know these big motherships with all these lights and looks like floors you know just just slowly going by and then there's been another one where it looks like a gigantic ring space station that you just as the camera comes over you just see it as it's fading into the shadow around the earth um you know, kind Sword. of like what Space Island Group was supposed to look like. Now, Sword um, also stated that besides the submarine-type style uh, craft that they got, uh, that they go all over the solar system with, is that they got another ship, a, a main one that they call the Swarm. And, and it goes in a polar orbit around the Earth. I don't oh, know if oh, you ever just heard like, of that. Probably like a Guardian ship. Well, that's kind well, of like, uh, that's how we can attribute to that as we start making these little connections. Uh, he may laugh or whatever, but he really, in my opinion, needs to get into more details about all that, and he wants to be on again, so maybe he will. Uh, but it's very interesting. Uh, it's like has a circular type ring of something, and like uh, would appear. You you, you, you watch the Stargate SG ones, right? Oh, yes. All right. Well, Remember you know, the Gaul ships that had that circular structural integrity around it, and they have the pyramid in the center? That's, in a way, what right. he was describing. Maybe not exactly, but pretty damn close. He never watched it, so he couldn't, you know, I'm going to have to send him a picture or something. Is this something like what you mean? You know, type of thing. But he says that, uh, and, there's, and I asked him, well, is how many others are there or any type style class? Swarns, as it was. He said, no, there's only one sworn. I said, oh, okay. Uh, but again, he says that all these guys are basically Masons. What do you know about the personnel and uh, of the secret space programmers? Have you heard of them being Masons? Because he's kind of ticked off about Trump and uh, saying that it's all bullshit, you know, that it's them that's out there. And, and I... I I can, in a way, understand, regardless if it's true or not, of it being just Masons, of if there are people out there that have been doing this, I think they deserve the credit. It's not something new. But, you know, 
how people run with things. Like you said, the military will use for their own advantage or when they're ready to announce something uh, or yeah. provide some. So, but have you heard of anything like that about? Well, I, well, I, well, well it's, 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 it's actual historic facts. The Masons actually played a major part in the uh, lunar landing um, with, uh, you know, Armstrong and all them. I mean, they actually had images of doing a ceremony, a Masonic ceremony on the moon because they were all Masons. Um, It it seemed like that you had to become a Mason to actually get in the orbit. Um, I don't know if that's still true or if they've been more lenient to, you know, let other people in, but uh, um, I'm sure it is. I'm sure it is by now, but in the beginning, yes. And everything was done on, you know, on uh, certain scheduled days that had, you know, cosmic meaning with alignments of the stars and the way they were pointed when they did their ceremony on the moon. And I think there's an image where he actually pulled an apron, a Masonic apron out. I I remember that. Yeah. That was, that, that was, oh, so you do? Because I, I, it was like back when I was in college when I saw that. Right. And um, so, yes, there, there, there's, there's, I mean, it's, it's historical fact uh, that they were very heavily woven into uh, the space program and are still today, as well as every aerospace company out there. If you look at all of their logos, all the space patches, all the military patches, they they all have some uh, either Masonic, cultic, or uh, um, astrological meaning to them. So, yeah. That is pretty fascinating. So, again, that's just something that obviously this show and I, for many personal reasons, as well as just reasons of asking questions uh, about it, are leading that there's more to be known and to come forth about all that. So hopefully S.W.O.R.D. and or even others that that could, uh, you know... uh, connect to the things he says or refute there's so many that's what i mean amongst all these secret space programmers and i guess that makes sense what you said about compartmentalization because there's a lot of you know it's it's hard to know you know who and what is truth anymore and uh and and that and and that's why they compartmentalize because you know it they can dismiss a small segment of the facts you know, a small piece of the puzzle, they can dismiss it. But if someone has full knowledge of the whole puzzle picture completed or a bigger chunk of it, then they're more of a threat to the security of secrecy. And so hence why compartmentalizing information uh, has been a part of military tactics, I don't know, for forever. So, um, but yeah, that's, that's, that's how they control it one little guy comes out says i've created you know uh, certain devices that they can dismiss them or if they said i i were i i protected an alien but that's all he knows he doesn't know anything about the ship or like bob lazar it's all compartmentalized and that's all they give you is what they want you to know so they can control that and control the information to control you right ultimately yeah and uh huh but that's interesting so what what else have you and or, uh, you know, the uh, third phase of Moon been able to 
dig up regards any uh, secret space programs and or as the best evidence of the secret space program or of even ETs. But again, it's hard to discern, I guess, to some degree. Well, you know, I I would not feel comfortable <laughs> answering that. I would not feel comfortable answering that question because I feel like that would be something more for them to answer because it's been their show for so long and right. they've seen they know all the videos they have. I've I've just been on board for like nine months now. I think. Cool. Uh, it feels like nine months. Um, Do you think so they would be on anyone else's radio? Do you think they would be on anyone else's show to be interviewed, or would would that be improper? Oh no no no! They they, they okay. Um, I have a, a motto that I do on my show at the end of every show and it's let us all lift each other up so we can all rise together instead of people tearing each other, you know with their egos and stuff trying to oh, get to yeah. the top let's all help each other and and they believe in that 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 philosophy as well and so they're all about supporting they're they're not out there to go in to get into debates and everything right they're out there just to find truth and um they're really great great guys um but yeah, they'll do it. I mean, I mean, well, I better not say that. They're the right. kind of guys that would do it, is what I would say. Right, well, maybe, um, maybe you could put the they, time out really... and ask. Uh, maybe you could be on with them because you guys as a crew, I think it's a, I think that would be a great show, and hopefully I'm not being oh, uh, imposing. I'm just you know, coming up with ideas no, I, here the audience would love. Yeah, I, I will be more than happy to, to uh, call and ask them myself. And um, also, if uh, if people... I don't know. They may not listen to YouTube. They may not want to have an account, or or, and they're just listening directly to your website. Uh, uh, Global Enlightenment Radio and, Network stream, as well as uh, the archives. Oh wow, wow. Okay, so we're like full blown. I love it. Okay, so yeah, there's a lot of people out. on if the network listening. So I don't really push the YouTube. Yeah. it's a it, it'll grow eventually. I'm not in a rush. One show at a time. Right. Me, yeah, me neither. But I'm I the will same way someone asked, was asking me about numbers, and I'm just like, I'd rather have quality of viewers than, than quantity, because mm -hmm. more of a family, it's very interactive. Well, there's but, quantity, uh, believe it or not. The YouTube doesn't show it, uh, but the quantity's there well, through the, my own website itself, as well as through the network. So that that's pretty oh, good. Right. And then there's people that share that, and I, it's hard to really keep track of, but I know people... Listening, I get emails and messages, and I see the stats at least of what I'm able to see stats of. So it's like, right. you know, it, it's you know, I, I cannot complain, it will grow, you know. And uh, I'm oh, lucky yeah. to be doing what I'm doing with the minimal things that I have. Just think about when it's full fledged down through time. We're gonna, I'm gonna help make our fate. Yeah, no, I mean, I've been doing this five years. I still have not received a single dollar from any platform. <laughs> you know? Right. I, mean, it's, I just, the information is what's important. But for those that don't do the YouTube and they made it on the website, but they want to see what Third Phase is all about. Mm -hmm. To A week and a half ago, we we just went, uh, we just premiered on Amazon Prime, our new UFO series. Um, and it's got 50 episodes already uploaded. Five seasons already, like instantly, oh, cool. uh, from the, from their special reports, and it's all been edited down by Amazon, so it's it's really concise, um, straight to the point, meat and potatoes, and it's all of the special reports we've done in the past nine months, um, uh, and um, 
just some amazing videos. Uh, it's just like the best of the best. Um, and the fact that Amazon was like, yeah, we want you here. That was like a mind blower when they told me. They called me and like, hey, guess what? You're on Amazon. I'm like, I am? <laughs> like, oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, like the first two seasons at least. So, um, yeah, uh, it, we're there. But I, 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 I mean, I'll tell you, I've, I've, I've got a couple other movies, Operation Rock the Troops, Turnover, uh, uh, Hotel Hell, which don't don't watch it. It's shit. <laughs> <laughs> it's real shit. It's awful. Um, but, uh, um, yeah, now I've got a, a series on there. And I'm more proud of this. Well, I, I'm proud of the others. I really am because I was a big part of it. But I guess it's because it's the most recent and it's getting truth out there, not just a a storyline. Right. So, um, but yeah, we were just living in a wild time and I just felt I needed to speak out. And then I came up with disclosure con. Uh, and next thing you know, I got Brooks Agnew and Mike Bear from ancient aliens and Lisa Haven and Laura Eisenhower, all these people calling me. And I, these are people they want to know. Yeah, they want to go. Into. They want to go. As a matter yeah. of fact, since we're on the air, if you ever have another one, I'd love to, you know, again, I'm an independent Mars researcher. I have a lot of fines. You know, uh, it would be, I was told I should be uh, well, at some of these presentations. So uh, maybe at some point, if you like, I have a Mars aspect and what's being found there, hopefully you could consider me. You know, it's worthwhile, like you said, about lifting each other up because not only these issues of UAPs, UFOs, secret space programs, but what Mars really is needs to be focused on, pun intended. Yeah. It really does. Because that's the goal um, of where, you know, the ultimate mission to colonize is, uh, Elon Musk and all this, is the Mars, the rush to get to Mars. But you cannot just go to Mars, you know, and people having a bunch of heart attacks, knowing and realizing what's really down there is not uh, rock and sand. Right, right. And, yeah, there, it, it is, uh, it's inhabited. It's inhabited. Um, I mean, I've, I've seen the satellite images where it shows... Uh, what looks like this was actually a documentary where they showed paintings on a caveman paintings on the wall mm -hmm. and you see what looked like a herd of something running but then they had these weird shapes on them mm -hmm. and so it makes them look weird well they took images of herds of animals running through Africa from space from a satellite and they realized like the camels and stuff the shadows that is the long ones with the shadows and so they were saying, how is it that cavemen and tribes back then were able to know what a view from of a herd of whatever from above would look like and there would be a long shadow yeah. unless they had been up there. Mm -hmm. So Very you telling. see these also, you see these on Mars now and then, there's there's some photos and videos going around that show supposed and I can't confirm or deny just what I've seen. I can just repeat what I've seen. Um, it looks like plant life, trees, little forests, and and herds running through the field. Now someone could have been shooting something in the Sahara Desert, took satellite images of that, and kind of tinted it red and said it was Mars. I can say that, but you know, 
things that make you go, hmm, right? Well, indeed. And a lot of the things I find and see, oh, I'm not seeing that. I'm not focusing on that. I'm focusing on the artistically sculpted uh, planetary surfaces. Right, cities, you name it. Just the surface in general has been uh, carved up like a tattoo artist gone mad. Uh, who knows how yeah. many millennia ago, before well, or after the well, events, or both. Well, do you know about the battle that uh, happened with the planet and, uh, and Mars, where it was between? Uh, it was like the lizard people were on this one planet. It was between Mars and us. And um, the battle went on. The lizards shot this huge, you know, Earth, you know, planet kill, not killer, but blaster, and literally destroyed the this, you know, the area with the, the pyramids and whatnot, because it looks like something collided and hit, right? Mm-hmm. And then um, when, as the battle was going on, the planet is is is. It's going, it's going around in orbit around the planet. And they got the other side with an electrical weapon, which they've actually re, redone in a lab where they took nails with electric lines and a piece of wood and they turn it on. It creates this like electric burn in the wood, right? Mm-hmm. And it burns it out. Well, if they had a big electrical pulsing uh, weapon like that and they shot it, it could, it, that's what they're saying, caused that gigantic um, Grand Canyon. Yeah. yeah, thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah. So, I'm sorry, that was the first hit on that side. When it came around and uh, they got shot again, Mars supposedly shot back, but they did it technical, like, like surgical precision. They aimed the weapon at the planet at its weakest point in 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 the uh the template of, of the of the planet the uh the mantle mm-hmm. the thinnest part and it hit it so hard it popped it like a balloon blowing um debris and that's that's part of you know the destruction of, of mars and blew it in all directions hitting the moon stopping its rotation hitting earth with debris from the planet, some say the lizard people were big chunks that collided. They were able, they were like in caves that were still like airtight during the blast and being shot, and then they got to Earth and and then they survived somehow and they lived underground. That's how they were here. Well, but um, but but the, all the, de- the rest of the debris is what makes up the asteroid belt of the debris that came off of Mars or from a planetary no, that, that body that was next to the, Mars. The, the planet that was next to Mars, they were battling with, and right. it exploded. Right. That, that, you know, it destroyed Mars. In, you know, they, it was their own demise, basically. I know. They and shot the question too close. of uh, <laughs> Dr. Tom Van Flander, he was on this show years ago, years ago, early 2000s. What makes planets blow up? The exploded planet hypothesis, which kind, of, which also worked, uh, believe it or not, with uh, Richard Hoagland's uh, Mars title model, as well as Dr. Brandenburg's. Uh, hypothesis there uh the thing though that was amazing about mars that nukes were used at some point in the past uh xenon 129 yeah now and these bombs he says by what well, i guess through his studies somehow he's a nuclear physicist so i guess he would know uh 
was as big as Empire State Buildings, and two such blasts that they pinpointed was Mare Acidalium, which is right there at uh, Acidalia Cydonia, and the other on the other side of the planet, Utopia Planitia. And, uh, well, that brings up, you know, other issues. Was it by the same event of war that you're describing, or did this come later? Um, you know what I'm saying? Because who knows how old really a lot of this is to be, I mean, they have their theoretical models, but, you know, again, life finds ways, and we weren't really there to witness, but I think we would find a lot mm -hmm. of these answers on the subsurface and getting into these structures, and yeah, I, I'm gonna, I can't believe I'm going to say, in the libraries! Get the libraries! Yeah. All, you know? Right. And so... Well, do you, do you, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, so I was just saying... So that would be interesting, too, because this reptilian race is just so kind of funny. Like uh, the face of Cydonia, people love to say, oh, it's a human face, a human face. Bullshit. It's not a human face. I know yeah. that damn face. It's, it's not, not collapsed. It's not ruined. It, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's, an icon, it's an iconography of a split face, like ancient Maya art type style, uh, mm -hmm. you know, glyphs. Uh, it's, right. One side is hominid type looking but when you look at it more in higher res details it looks more like a hominid apish saurian type looking and the oh. other half you know when you flip and mirror each side the other half dominantly has uh the look of a lion but it has the look of other things too uh but the thing is the dominant feature that stands out is that saurian humanish so that is what I, when you bring up reptilians and others, uh, whether on that planet, they may have been on Mars as well and uh, have done that. We need more answers. So all of these things is not for fresh people. And who's messing with their mic? Is that you, Doc? Sorry, sorry, my, my, my headphones were messed up. Oh. Uh -huh. You there? Yeah. Okay. Well, do, let me ask, do you know anything about uh, remote viewing? Uh, yes, uh, not a lot, but I've. You know, I've heard a lot of things being talked about, and the okay. people I've talked to are connected. Literally, the door next door to when those remote viewing, I think you're going to get into, of the findings of Mars was done and taken place. Yeah, well, actually, there's, you know, there's the military, and then there's private people that do it, but there's a public organization in Atlanta called the Farsight Institute. Mm -hmm. And for years, they've been doing a bunch of remote viewing, and you know, they get a blind target. They're just given, you know, by their that by their person who doesn't tell them what it is. They just give them these two four-digit numbers. Mm -hmm. That's the coordinates or whatever, right? And so they don't know what they're looking up. And and uh, Dr. Courtney Brown, who leads the Farsight Institute, um, did something amazing. He looked up. He took the phrase in the Bible, in the very beginning of the Bible, mm -hmm. the war in heaven. And he had that be the target, right? Uh -huh. Now, his students, his, his, his remote viewers, they, they didn't know what they were getting themselves into. But they described the battle that I mentioned just a little while ago um, in great detail. Uh -huh. And um, so when I heard that, that made me go, because they're, they're, they're almost never wrong. They actually do, a, they did a project called the Time Cross Project where every month at the end of each month, like 29th or the 30th, they would do a video session and post it, timestamp it on YouTube 
of them remote viewing the top news stories of the, that next month, you know, a few days from there. Uh-huh. And every month for two years, they did it. And every time they were nailing, 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 nailing stuff. So the fact that they did this as a special uh, presentation um, and four or five of these different remote viewers all have their, from their own perspective, because that's what remote viewing is. It's not everybody sees the exact same thing at the exact same direction. Right. It's like if they were standing in different parts of the city, watching the city go down, they're going to get different, you know, things to say that they saw. But um, yeah, it, I, I, I believe that until I'm proven wrong, I'm not going to go down kicking about it, but that's just, the, the the belief I'm going to follow right now that we have been up there. Um, there are other life forms up there. There's underground cities. Um, there's possible mining that's going on up there for certain resources. Um, and, you know, shit, I, I wouldn't pass up if Elon got offered me a ticket. If he said, you want to go, I'd be like, let's do it. Yeah, me too. <laughs> Me too. You know, I studied that planet intently for many years, and uh, I would have, I would know, I have many places to where I would like to go, where I'd like to bring people, and uh, it's pretty amazing, and getting to walk on and inside this stuff, you know, ground truth, they always say, boots on the ground, but I say, bullshit, you can't know where you're going to walk and step unless you know where you're going to be putting your feet down uh, to to look around, and that's just as valuable as the remote viewing of the cameras, <laughs> as, as well as, now it's funny you brought up Farsight, because I never got a reply back. I was I wanted to ask them if I showed them a picture... Uh, which I have at least three or four of that are that are not NASA public release official images. If I was to present them to it, just to do that thing, I would love to have them on the show and give their thoughts and or opinions and or maybe better yet, coordinates. Because earlier you said they were given coordinates, but what if they were able to focus on actual objects? Could they do the same thing with that and then get coordinates? Uh, obviously, you would see my mindset there and logic and reasoning of wanting them to answer that. But I never got a reply or whatever. I mean, because who the hell am I? But when I did that, I, yeah, that was like just after when they came out with that years ago, a few years back. So it was a while. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you, unless you walk in the door in Atlanta to the Farside Institute and actually talk with Dr. Courtney Brown. There's no way. It's, it's um, I mean, not that he's, un- you know, on un- excuse me, unaccessible. Um, he just has a very tight knit circle. I am not in it. <laughs> right. Um, and I, that's how I know because I tried, um, I tried to get him to come to the disclosure con. And, uh, like you said, who am I? You know, right. he's very protective of, of his work. I mean, he shares with the public all the time, every month, but, um, uh, you know, he's just very protective of his team, and I understand why. I'm hoping that maybe I will get to a credibility level one day that he might go, okay, I'll go on the show. Um, but uh, that we just haven't crossed that that bridge yet. Um, you could get in touch with other remote viewers. I mean, granted, I follow Farsight, so I would love to interview him myself. Um, 
I almost got one of, uh, well, no, did I? No, I had her on third phase. She was on third phase. Um, we had one of the girls um, on there and kind of got into it. Not, not her, but another guy got into a tippy where there's, you know, just wanting to prove her wrong any way he could. Just, you know. Right, one of those. Unpleasant. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, and it kind of it kind of jaded her um, because, I, you know, he, he was promised, he promised, you know, funds and stuff if she pulled something off and she pulled it off, but it wasn't the way they liked it because they didn't understand. They thought you just, um, you know, you, you, put, you give them the target and they'll tell you exactly what it is. Just, just say it. It's like, no, 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 no. It's like a process. It's a standard operating procedure. You, you do this method, this and this, and you take all the things that you've written out because you're looking at things at different perspectives, you know, then you might find something else. And so you want to go into that. You can actually go into the mind of somebody. Okay. Do you want to, you want to know something cool? You like Star Wars? You like Lucas? Yeah. Okay. Check this out. They did this two, three months ago. If you go to, farsight.org and, and you do like their Netflix monthly thing. You can watch all the cool stuff, mm. but they do these specials like on, on the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, which let me tell you might challenge some people's faith. Um, there's, uh, you know, JFK Roswell area 51. I mean, they, they do all these special ones if you get the membership, but they did this one, which I, I got the membership for just for this one video. They had four or five remote viewers mm -hmm. given a target and not knowing what it was, they, but they were looking into the mind of George Lucas while he wrote the Star Wars series. Huh. And it turned out that, th that George Lucas might have had like in a past life he was living this in, an, in in our galaxy, doing the things like Han Solo and all this stuff. Experience, and he was he was getting this from like a past life regression, but not realizing. He's just thinking it's his imagination, right? You know, but he's remembering stuff. That's why it came. That's why it was such. It's that's why Star Wars is George Lucas because it was supposedly his real experiences in a past life. Right, or, or, some, or some form of previous and, and, knowledge. And to him. Right, or some form of previous knowledge that somehow he had access to. And right. again, like Brookings, put it put it out there, mix it with bullshit, and to start acclimating people. Um, another thing with Lucas, with Vader there, you know, the Nazi Masons, the helmet and the triangle there, <laughs> of Darth Vader's mask, you know, that was, uh, you know, when someone helped me see that, I said, oh. Oh, oh wow! <laughs> you know, it, it, it's yeah. like little things like that. You know, when you're like, but new he with incorporated. This, he actually incorporated that from the samurai helmets from the warriors because ah. he got a lot from Japan. Japan martial art movies right. was a huge inspiration. The stormtroopers and all the gear, everything. It, if you look at the stormtrooper helmet, it has kind of like that Bob hairdo at the you bottom. Know, you know what else it looks like? You know what else they look like? Think of the time frame. Uh, Think of the time frame of the Star Wars, 77, right? Yeah. Look at the Stormtroopers' fa uh, mask. They look like the face of Mars. <laughs> the mouth at the same angle, the black eye, the, the mouth at the same angle. They look, that, they, they oh look, like, the, they yeah. look like the face of Mars. 
you know, and that's well, that have, was have, have, if you see the new Mandalorian series, right? Sorry, um, uh, the intro at the beginning of each show, they'll do like last week, you know, and they'll play it, and then it does like the little intro, which is all of the the, the different masks, Darth Vader, Boba Fett, all of them. And right. it's a red and blue light, like the lightsabers just going, you know, zoom, zoom past each one and then it changes yeah. the next one. And they all do, you're right, they do look like the face on Mars in, in, in aspects. Well, it's really of, crazy. Of, the, of the flip never put mirror, that together. of the hominid side, you know, the old uh, 1976 black and white image, uh, how the mouth goes right. down like that, the, the spaces between the teeth uh, and the, the, to look like the teeth, uh, it's pretty wild. Uh, and I don't think that's far-fetched at all. Again, I believe he had also some type of knowledge, whether it's from uh, uh, pre-cognizant lives or memories or, or things, just info he may be privy to. Uh, look, Alderaan blowing up. Oh, what would make a planet blow up? And look, what were they studying at that time? You know, the asteroid belt, worrying about Planet X, and <laughs> which is also right. part of that you know, uh, pl- exploded planet to begin with. Now, which, do- which still does not rule out any the life that was there or any wars between, you know, the, in the heavens that could have went on. Uh, obviously, there's differences in what may have made it explode. I mean, I don't know because, uh, you know, Nibiru, you know, oh, that, that's, I don't know, that's, that's frightening also, but. We may this planet. I'm not going to say we, but we may be seeing because asteroids. I mean, well, you know what's going on. You've heard all the things. Yeah. Listeners, of this show could appreciate. So those uh, subjects will be covered more in the show as well. But it's fascinating at the prospect of it because we have these ancient, advanced, so high we can't even duplicate it today. Structures. Uh, on and under the surface that's been buried that we cannot duplicate today that's reminiscent of the things we see like in Star Wars and of things on Mars and I mean I just think it's uh, fascinating and uh, of how civilizations would evolve or any life even in Star Wars on the planets that they visit and leave they were uh, interplanetary and interstellar pun intended uh, travelers so, uh, you know, I just think that it, that Star Trek and Star Wars was two major prospects of, uh-huh. of what we are to be told of the ancient knowledge. And also, you brought up something uh, very important uh, when you were describing the battle. You're familiar with uh, the 1958 uh, Jack Kirby comics, right? Of the face on Mars, uh-huh. 1958? Oh yeah, oh yeah. Stuff's been hidden like that. Oh, even in uh, Disney cartoons. Yeah. I mean, they hide that stuff all the way back then. It's just like I told you about All Star Blazers. That was in the '80s, and it was a cartoon for kids, and they could tell you what they were doing under the auspice of fiction, just like Gene Roddenberry to did. Get us he knew about all the. Yes, and 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 he and, and he said, you know, because he told his buddy who was in the OSA or whatever it was that you know, men and black guy, mm-hmm. and they grew up together, and they would go hang out once a year, go drink cognac at the cabin and fish, and went out, and he would tell them all these outlandish stuff, you know, like aliens and Area Fifty One, Roswell, and Gene's like, we got to tell the world, and his buddy's like, not if you want to wake up tomorrow. So Gene <laughs> came up with the idea, 
I'm going to write these stories in the form of science fiction. That bingo. And look, half of the stuff from that TV, the original TV series we got today is technology. Yep. You know? And now we've, we just announced this past week, scientists teleported um, qubits or, or quabits or whatever they are, quantum bits, um, 27 miles to another location faster than light. That yep. news was just announced last week. I reported on it. Yep. And um, so, yeah, it's, I mean, things are happening. Now, I actually knew about the whole teleportation thing back in 1990, what was it, four or five, when I was working, or it was actually before I worked DJing at Disney, I was delivering pizzas. And I delivered it to uh, uh, one of those gigantic science compound places, lots of big buildings on stilts and shit. Right. And you have to go through security. And I was just delivering a pizza. But uh, the the guy um, the, that uh, took the pizza from, I don't know what brought a little bit of conversation while I was waiting on the guy, the, the main guy to come, the doc scientist, whoever, to get the pizza from the wait, waiting room. Right. And uh, the, the guy at the counter said, he goes, you know what we do here? And I'm like, uh, no. He goes, you ever seen Star Trek? <laughs> like, yeah, he's, you know, the teleportator. Like, yes, that's what we're working on. I'm like, no way. Oh, so that was back then. That was in Orlando. And, um, you know, through, through my life, I just, I've had like these Forrest Gump moments where I just brush with like history or big celebrities that are his, part of history. And, um, I've just heard things. I've seen things. Shoot, I mean, I remember uh, Ed Dames. I, I spent 22 hours with him in, in Vegas at an event, and uh, he had no sound guy. And I was like, well, I, I can do sound. So I, I ran sound and helped him out, and we ended up drinking that night. Uh-huh. Whew, he told me some fun stuff. <laughs> you want to hear one since we're talking about Star Wars? Yeah. I asked it. You know who Ed Dames is, right? Yeah. He's the guy that, like, broke remote viewing on coast-to-coast with – you know, the real Art Bell before right. God rest his soul. Anyway. Um, and he's the reason why I got in all this. Uh, but, um, you know, we, we were drinking at the, at the bar at the casino and I was like, um, so what is your most favorite thing you've ever remote viewed? And he goes, um, he goes, Bigfoot. <laughs> <laughs> really? And I'm like, are you serious? He goes, yeah. Now, granted, we've been drinking, and uh, he goes, uh, he goes, Bigfoot's real, and Bigfoot uh, is literally not from this planet. He comes from a planet that is an ice planet, like Hoth, right? And he flies spacecraft that look like the Millennium Falcon, and they come here, and they can shift in dimensions so they can disappear, right? Maybe that's why they put him in Star Wars, the big old Wookiee, the Sasquatch. That, that's that, uh, yeah, that's where I'm going with this. Because, um, uh, yeah, so, shoot, what was I going with? So, yeah, the Bigfoot, and he says the, the main reason why they are here, you're going to love this, mm-hmm. they're, they're here on vacation. <laughs> oh, why not? <laughs> that's why they don't. That's why they don't want to be bothered. And I'm like, you've got to, you're you just yanking my chin. He goes, no, I'm, I'm being this. He goes, do you know about the Baltic Sea UFO? 
And I was, and I, I didn't, I didn't know at that time. Um, so I looked into it. And you know about the Baltic UFO that's in the Baltic Sea on the floor. It's, it, it's like yeah. it looks like the Millennium Falcon made of stone. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there you go. We'll leave that there. Um, but uh, yeah, I thought that was. I was expecting him to like some deep, dark, you know, horrific. I mean, the man Ed Dames remote viewed the the most horrific, scariest thing you could ever ever remote view and you know what that was and he did it and he disappeared for months and it freaked our bell out because he couldn't get a hold of him but he was having to recoup from it huh. he did something no one else in the world has the balls to do ed dames remote viewed satan oh crap about made him lose his fucking mind oh crap yeah what do you so say about i got it? a lot of respect for a man that can what what did he say about it Oh, you could actually. I, I don't want to. I don't want to rephrase anything from him because I mean I have too much respect for him. You can probably find it on an old Art Bell. Right. Just look up uh, Art Bell, Coast to Coast Ham, or one of those. Uh, yeah, do do Art Bell because they'll they'll think it's George Morrison. But Art Bell, Ed Dames, Remote View Satan. Listen okay. to that show. It will just boom. Your mind will explode. But I wanted to go one more thing with Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a there's a um, YouTube page called Hack Smith Industries. Okay. And in just the past two months, you're going to love this, brother. All right. They created the very world's first legitimate 4,000 degree plasma proto lightsaber. Oh. And, the, and the videos are online. They've got like 28 million views on one. Another one's got 15 million views. It was like two months ago. And it's also, and now three weeks ago, it is. It, it said that it's now in the Guinness Book of World Records. So that's what I'm talking about. How does someone know of this technology before it technically exists? Right. Brookings acclamation. And it's also, in some cases, sometimes more than others, it is purposely done so that, for example. Ed Dames, when he came out, you know, came out of the closet with remote viewing and told the world on our bell mm-hmm. before he could legally do that. It was like black ops. He reported to the president of the United States for him. Okay. Right. That, that was his boss. Um, he was nicknamed Dr. Doom when he walked into the, to the Oval Office. You know, he's the guy that told Clinton. Remember, remember that guy, Clinton, <laughs> which, well, I don't know if I can report on that because I don't know if it's true or not. Someone said that he, he may not be with us anymore after this, as of last week. I'm not I heard sure. that too. Yeah, oh, we'll, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. It might be a clone. But uh, he went into Clinton's office and said, sir, uh, remote viewers, we, we, we're doing all these projects and we keep looking in the future. We keep seeing the same event. It's just like catastrophic, you know. Um, it, it you know looks like nuclear fallout, building destruction, thirty hundred mile an hour you know, cyclone, winds everywhere, and but then we realized it wasn't a war; it was our sun going on a rampage with solar flares, just huh. demolishing our side of the planet. And that was the year that, lo and behold, the military ran out of money, and we had to start shutting down bases all over the country. Remember that? Oh. Yeah, he started due to budget cuts, and then, but even though those bases were closed, there still was activity at these bases. Right. That's because that's when 
they went into Operation Dig the Shit Out of Underground America and yeah. started digging all these tunnel systems underground, you know, with all the big burrowing things. And by the way, for those out there that, have all, that are wondering what all those horns and sirens that they're hearing in the air, like the trumpets of Revelation, they're not it. You will know. You will know when those really do happen. But what you're hearing, and this has just come out recently, it's those burrowing machines, those gigantic tubes with grinders on the end that burrow miles and miles and miles underground. And it's the rock and the boulders just grinding, and it's echoing through the ground. That's why people, when they're out there, they're like, I don't know which direction it's coming from, because it's coming from the ground and reflecting in the atmosphere coming back down. So it's like, it's, it's science. But that's what that is. Um, and they're building all these dumps, deep underground military bases. Um, and they've been preparing for that. And people that got out or knew something or, or got an inside tip, they all started do, started the whole prepper movement, you know, right. the whole end of the world. Because uh, they knew something was coming because our military isn't going to train for all this, you know. Trump isn't going to give his a certain military platoon, you know, three million dollars to start training for underground warfare That's with special right. oxygen gear and special scopes, you know, dealing with knowing how to deal with certain gases at certain depths under, you know, miles and miles underground. Or deal with because, certain uh, subservice illegals they might want to go after, especially if they're the well, old order of, yeah. you know, the new world order. <laughs> I don't know, man. Like, have you heard of Vivos? Vivos. Vivos is the underground for the millionaires. They get the underground bunkers, or they have like hotels where they take the old missile silos and they turn oh, them into yes, like little yes, apartments. Yes. Okay. I'm, I almost went and worked for them as an internal communications director for like when you're underground, you have your little intranet and local phone system and stuff. I was going to be working on that, and uh, it was pretty it wasn't a deep underground military base it was um up was it saint oh by saint louis or by some anyway uh, north mid central america up there with four corners or something uh i i want to say saint louis but it's not anyway it was a, a, a an old salt mine and the military had bought it Right. And they used it as a secret storage facility. And the local townspeople for many years thought it was like an Area 51 right. because they kept seeing these strange vehicles being brought in, in and, and put in there, but never come out. Uh-huh. And what they were seeing were the Humvees. Because if you remember when Humvees came out, it was like, yeah. it's like the Humvee God just threw them up all over the United States military and they all had them overnight. Yeah. They were storing them in facilities like this until they, the, the reveal, I guess. And then, so the military sold it to a private guy and, and who bought half and another half was bought by a church and they decked this place out with apartments, um, uh, commissaries. They even had a park, you know, with like AstroTurf and picnic benches and paintings. They had a rock wall climbing area. They had a bowling alley. I mean, the works. They even had areas for people that couldn't afford the built-in apartments where people could bring in their trailers and, and like, buy a slot, you know? And, um, I mean, doomsday, end of the world, fun stuff, right? Yeah. And uh, when I 
was physically in one of these places myself. That's when it, one, it's really cold too. It's not that warm. Uh, but I knew, I was like, this is not a conspiracy. This is legit shit. People are doing this. And, um, I, you know, I just took it very seriously for a long time. And what's crazy, recently I, I had a recollection of when I was like in third or fourth grade. I had this, and I wish I had my old art books from back then, but I used to draw like a sideway cutout schematic mm-hmm. of underground bunker systems. Mm-hmm. I mean, in detail. Staircases, hallways, bathroom, uh, you know, lobby, uh, uh, computer room. And, and this is 1983 or four. And I'm drawing this stuff with graph paper. So it had, you know, everything, everything was nice lines and whatnot. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, it was always in a mountain or a volcano like Dr. Evil. But looking back, uh, after recollecting that recently, I sat there and thought, how could a kid my age back then, especially in 1983 or four, even imagine anything? Because deep underground military bases wasn't even something America even thought we would ever have. Right. Um, just something of fantasy. But, I, you know, looking, you know, sitting here and thinking about myself sitting at the desk at, during, a, you know, homeroom or whatever, and I'm just sitting there. I was very, very detailed. So I, I wonder. Could I could I have been taken to one of these places? Mm-hmm. Uh, who knows? I know I had an encounter when I was three years old in California. Um, that most of my life I took as an alien abduction or an encounter. And as years have gone by, in the past probably the past ten years, I've had this more strong inclination that since I was an Air Force brat, military brat. Uh, a lot of military kids would be used for experiments as we've come to find throughout history uh, as time has gone on. Um, right. I've always wondered, you know, could I, could I, could I have been a guinea pig one night? Um, and they made it seem like a, a UFO. I mean, I didn't see aliens or anything. Right. I saw my grandmother outside my window and it was nighttime in the bedroom and outside it was daytime. And my grandmother's like at her car in the street going, come on, it's time to go to the park. And I go down but I get to the top of the stairs and I, I literally float, I like fall, like like I'm almost laying down above the staircase in, in the air. And um, my parents had just put in a swimming pool and taught me to swim. So I started dog paddling in the air. Huh. And I, I'm going down the stairs. I know. Now we're going into UFO funny stories. Um, no, they're not but I get funny. Down to again, the- I've experienced oh. two doc. And again, uh, many some of the guests I've had on – and I really never talk about my experiences. I have, I have my own personal reasons why I also do this too, besides the other ones. But uh, yeah. or being a Mars researcher, and there's nothing funny about it. And and other well, people, they yeah, they I, would it was the wrong, the wrong, the wrong word. Was, I had the, I chose the wrong word, but um, peculiar is what I meant to say for for some people. You know, something like this would be peculiar. But um, <laughs> I got to the bottom of the stairs, and then the door opened. And it was like, all I remember is a big, bright white flash. I mean, literally just white. I could not see any structures or anything. It was just white. Mm-hmm. And then like an old antique flash bulb on a camera, you know, it's like a big, bright flash. And then it kind of slowly fades away. Yeah. That's how the light disappeared. And then it was nighttime. 
on on a California street in Sacramento. And um, uh, I remember it was really silent. And then it was like a slow build of, of like insect sounds, like from nothing to something. Right. Um, and so I, I go, Grandma, Grandma, Grandma. I'm kind of leaning out the door, looking down the street, and I don't see her. So I close the door. I turn around. I get to the staircase. Uh, I make it to the second or third step, and my father um, – he comes around the corner of the top of the stairs with a rifle pointed at me and my mom like leaning over his shoulder uh-huh. and uh, thinking I was a burglar. And so I, I got yelled at and uh, I told them what, you know, I thought I was grandma out there. So they, they wrote it off as sleepwalking. Fast forward to that to where I'm 16. My dad and I are on a plane going on a trip or something. And, and uh, he starts bringing up for the first time, anything Leonard Nimoy, anything, science spot. I mean, my dad was military. Right. I mean, he had top secret clearance. And so he was very, very strict and stern about security and stuff. So this was the first time he's, he's mentioning about the Mayan pyramids. I'm like, okay, it's a step. And we talked for a little bit and he's like, yeah, still, we don't know how they they did it. And I said, well, dad, do you remember that time you almost shot me when I was a kid? And I told him my side of the story for the very first time. And you know, I was expecting on him to scoff at it and kind of blow it off. Like my son's just a, he's just a fantasy dreamer and he did it. Um, and he kind of, he was looking at his rum Coke and he looked at me and he's, he said, um, to be honest with you, there's one thing that's bugged me all these years since that night about that incident. And I'm like, what is it? He goes, well, you know how I am about security. He goes, I don't know how the door was open. My dad had five or six locks, chain, bolt, crank, all that, key, hand knob, everything, right? Um, you know, I was born at Dover Air Force Base because he was he was there stationed there when he flew Air Force Two. And so he had he like security all the way. Um I, he shot me out of Tommy all the guns, everything. And he goes, you were three years old at around three foot one. There's no way you could have unlocked all those, those panels and chains and locks and keys and blah, blah, blah. And he goes, I don't, I, and it's, and it's bothered me. (laughs) I've never talked about it. And and that's when I knew there was some, um, uh, uh, confirmation that it wasn't just a dream. Right. So, uh, I did not see aliens. Um, I wasn't, I wasn't on an aircraft or a spacecraft like, you know, Travis Walton or anything. I mean, um, it, uh, that's why I think that it could have been, I could have just been a lab rat. And because I was a military brat, they could, you know, come up, do the little MIB flash thing, the thing in my eye, I forget everything kind of thing. So right. years later, um, and, I don't know. Everybody, I guess, feels that there's something special about them, right? You know. Mm. So I, 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 I had that feeling with for me a long that time. I went through the shit I went through. I don't see what was so special about me, and it's all still related on now being phased back through time again. I'm crazy, sir. Here on a mission on this new timeline no, no. to make our fate. Yeah. Yeah. No, I just, I just mean what made me special that they picked me out of all the other kids. 
right. you know, for well, whatever I know, it is. I know what you're saying. But, he, but, he, but he, here's the weird thing. Here, here was some physical uh, evidence that the unfortunately wife. was lost over time. Mm-hmm. But my ex-wife was rubbing my back one, one night and uh, found a bump. And so she got some tweezers and a needle thinking it was like a you know infected zit or something. <laughs> and it ended up being a little sliver of metal. Now, I could have been walking through a, an area and someone had a grinder, made a shot, and it got me in the back. Who knows? All right? Mm-hmm. But we took this little, I mean, it was literally like a quarter of an inch long. And it was just like a weird stony metal looking thing. Um, and we put it in a little bag, which unfortunately we lost in a move. But the night she took that out of my back, and I kid you not, I haven't had, or I have not woken up, and that was in 2002. I have not woken up from a night's sleep and had any recollection of a dream at all. So it's like I go to sleep and I wake up. As before that night, I had the most crazy dreams, uh, surreal, um, sometimes a lot of night terror, especially when I was a child. But she took that out. And it's like all my dreaming stopped at night. Now I dream all day with what I do for a living. Right. I mean, <laughs> I, I, I create visions and be a builder of dreams, all that kind of thing. And, um, you know, I think if I had a dream tonight and I woke, I would probably freak out because it's been so long trying to grasp what was real and what was the dream kind of thing. Oh, you know, know your, yeah, your wife know. wakes up in the middle of the night beat, beating the hell out of you because you cheated on her in the dream. Uh-huh. It was so real to her. It's that kind of scenario. Uh, I know what you're um, talking about. And that was the same time frame for the ultimate ones was 2001, 2002, even 2003. And uh, and those were the most intense with memories being able to be had, but others faded. And I'm not going to get into that now. So I can relate to some of that. And they weren't dreams. I, that's why it's tar- I started... For, to keep my own sanity, you know, and and to analyze it, you know, uh, you know how you go through analyzations of all that shit. I call I call them dream experiences because ever since I was a kid, I could always the dreams I could always pull myself out of it, know that this is a dream, this is all bullshit, or whatever it is, or if I didn't like it, I could pull myself. But these experiences, these dream experiences, uh uh-uh. uh. There was no way. There was no way. And everything, it was like I was real just sitting there. I could see my hands like I do now. Uh, you know what I'm saying? You're there and I'm experiencing. Right, right. And I know I should have uh, I should have been dead through some of the things uh, that I, I'll just say I went through. I'm not going to say I was put through except for one time. But even then, that was an ultimate uh, message to me as well. Of uh, I know one thing, man. They're able to pull out our souls, our essence. I didn't really understand. You know, you read Bible. Oh, soul transmission? Or other things you hear, yeah, soul. The, the, there's some rich people that are getting into that as a whole soul transmission thing. That's like. Oh, it is. It's you know. is real. I was. I, 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 what, part of the thing I had to learn through one of these major dream experiences, I think it was in 2002, as a matter of fact. Uh, and I had the I had the question. I come to that realization. Well, if I'm out, I was obviously slammed back in, 
Uh, no damage, you know, I thought my wife would have flew off the bed into the mirror or something. I mean, every, uh, I had to come to the realization and well, the memories I was able to retain and from previous experiences, like adding up the added information, almost like a communication uh, to be pondered through time. And I was like, dude, are, are we are out, I'm outside of myself. Someone has the ability or something to pull your soul. You don't know it until you learn it. To learn that you were out of your body, because uh, and therefore, when I always looked at started looking at the scriptures differently than and uh, respecting where it talks about souls and stuff like that, uh, spirit, etc. And it's a very fascinating thing, and I, and I won't rant on it too long, but it's still an area of which needs to be covered on this show. It's all connected in that regard. Um, so I, I, I just, I, I'm just blown away by a, a lot of the experiences that have happened and still what I'm searching for. And again, it's been a while now, but uh, I anticipate at some point it will happen again. It happened since a little child. Even my mom, it's a long story. But it, it, so expect yours to happen again as well. And they usually uh, have stints of years that pass before it happens again. That much I was able to ascertain from my life, my own life experiences. And it has affected me and my family growing up, myself, even my relationships and things that I had to that just totally went awry. I lost relationships and had life changes because of this that you, I could not tell anyone else. You know what I mean? Uh, mm-hmm. Only now I'm able to, you know, I can hint that I, it's things that you have to come to accept. But a couple of things you said right there to me, expect it more. It just, it, it could be, it could be years, but then you might pinpoint when it does happen again, count the stint. If you, from what you can remember now, mind you, or, or allowed to remember of the time passage between, because I guarantee if, if that's happened to you, then it probably happened when you were a child too. Uh, but, but I'm just ranting. But I just for yeah. anyone out there, for anyone that may be able to re- relate with Doc saying or even myself. I mean, there again, listeners of this show could appreciate. There's been other guests to which things that were certain things that was said that got me to rant on a while because my brain churns and my heart races and it's like you know these are part of the main issues of why i even do this it's it's like finding a new piece of the puzzle it's exciting yes it is and uh it's perplexing as well and i don't i don't know if it's a good i don't know it's a good thing i don't know i know we're on the clock um are, are we do we need to take a break or what do you want to do Oh, uh, well, I don't Cause know. Because it's top it's of the a, hour. I don't know because you said radio, and I know it's strict, so. Right, uh, well, we got room, freedom of leverage, and artistic license. Cool. But uh, what did my uh, right. co-producers say? Because uh, uh, to them, I know this is normally their, uh, their uh, sleepy times. They're in different time zones. I'm in Mountain. I got one in Central, one on the East Coast. What do they say? Uh, depending, because I, I could go a little more. I'm sure there's a lot more you could talk about. Or it could also be a good place, you know, we made this cake and, uh, you know, they're prepared for more shows, you know, either or. So what do you guys say? Someone type real quick, means typing. All right, yeah, he says it's getting late. Uh, I don't want, you know, we do this. 
without them, there is no this. I mean, I could do it, but it'll be harder and it'll be it'll be a bit different. But with their help, and no, we don't get paid for this. There's no special clubs, no special subscriptions. But uh, for some reason, they're having at least enough belief and faith in me that they sacrifice their time and uh, to a purpose. To where, as crazy as I am, they're going to help make our fate. And at that time, it'll be fully realized. But uh, I don't know. So I don't know if... So I, maybe I guess we'll come down to the end. But all right. So that being said, uh, what is there anything else you wanted to get out or speak about? Obviously, you know, uh, conferences and shit like that is kind of like put on hiatus now. Or is it? Or are you going to do something online conference or something? I don't know. So, I mean, uh, no, no. I know, I know people like the online conferences, but it just doesn't set well to me. I like the, the whole point is bringing people together, right. getting to meet the actual people, physical contact, get their autographs, ask some questions. And then, of course, at my event, um, all the VIP pass holders get in an hour early. They get a great little package of gifts and shirts and whatnot, but they also get to go to the after party um, and, and hang out with these uh, speakers at a, at a private VIP party at the Lodge Bar Grill in Pine Top, Arizona. Mm-hmm. And then on the final night, we do a fireside chat nice. where everybody gets to sit in these beautiful leather couches. And, and they get to, it's, it's not intimidating. Like when you go to most conferences, you got you know Stephen Greer or whoever up on stage and they're taking questions. And there's like a line of people in the aisle of all the seats and you've got to go up and a lot of people forget they freeze up their stage fright and they don't get to say what or ask what they want. So we got a huge fireplace that's like the size of a Volkswagen van and a bunch of couches and we all just sit around and it's we even sing. Travis Walton pulled out a guitar, you know, Travis Walton, the fire in the sky guy. Uh-huh. He lives up here. And, uh, you know, he came out and played some songs and we were all I mean, it was just it. Everybody's guard was down and it was very intimate and it was just a beautiful thing and, and they all want to do it again. Um, so it's going to be held at, uh, uh, oh my God, it just played. <laughs> it's at the casino here in, in Pine Top. Uh, and, oh God, please, I hope they never hear this because they won't. <laughs> It's all right. It's a little late. It's okay. Oh, it's it's late, and I can't I can't put words together very well. Um, the Honda teases the Honda Casino Resort. It's H O N dash D A H. It's 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 oh. it's Apache. Okay. It's an Apache um, uh, casino, and they have just really treated me well with open arms. Because of course, I'm bringing events to their casino, but um, it, it's it was a real disappointment. We couldn't do it this year because the casino was shut down during the lock because of lockdown. Right. Um, but yeah, every October first weekend and of course the boys over in Hawaii at third phase moon are trying to nudge me into bringing a second disclosure con to Hawaii, but that isn't going to happen right now because they, they still have quarantine and all that going on over there. Right. Um, so all right. Uh, uh, mean just said he's going to Winstar tomorrow. That's kind of cool. Winstar, I guess Winstar is open again. What's Winstar? It's a casino. Winstar Casino. Oh. Wade Newton. No, it's not Wade Newton. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So anyway, but yeah, that's um, yeah, that's that. <laughs> I can't believe I could remember the name of them. They've been so good to me, and I'm such a dick. 
Oh, I don't know, man. So, know one of these days. But you can check cool actually you can place. check it out at DisclosureCon, D I S like disclosure and then C O N, no dash, just all one word, dot com. And you can go check out year one and two. And last year we actually got all of the lecturers, Robin Ben from Edge of Wonder, uh, Rex Bear from the Leak Project, uh, uh shoot, we had everybody, uh, Brooks Agnew, uh uh God, we had a crap load, but you can see all of the full length lectures for absolutely free. I don't charge you to go to my site, go there, see it. And um, if you like, then come on out to the beautiful White Mountains of Arizona, which is the bottom of the Rocky Mountains in Arizona. So we call it the White Mountains. Oh, and uh, come check out our beauty. And this is also where the White Mountains is where Fire in the Sky happened. Travis Walton, the whole abduction thing. Yeah, that all happened here. And he's a uh, he's a neighbor. So I've been, trying, oh, cool. I've, been to, I've been trying to get him on for a while. I really want to hear his story, his story from him. You know, I mean, I mean, I've heard him a little out there, and uh, you know, the movie and what other people say. But I, it's not the same. I mean, I want to. Well, if he's willing, I mean, yeah. gosh, who knows? He's probably real busy, or I don't know. You know, but uh, uh, yeah, well, he does a lot of interviews. He goes to a lot of events. Um, well, this good. last disclosure con that we didn't get to do was supposed to be surrounding or focused around the 45th anniversary. It was going to be him, his family, his son Luke, who's, who's like my really good friend, and then his wife, uh, the sheriff, and the loggers that were still alive. Who I'm going to be having on individually, um, hopefully starting in January, just awesome. kind of get their perspective of the story, and uh, and then. And then COVID happened. And it was going to be so perfect. It was the third disclosure con, so you had 3D. And then it was year 2020. 3D 2020. I mean, it was so perfect. And uh, then everything went to shit. So, but we're going to bring it back as soon as, you know, everything's good and everybody's willing to come out again and uh, explore. And, uh, yeah, excellent. I know, free. It means means exciting. Yeah, go to the website. You can watch all of them. Laura Eisenhower, all of them. The lectures are amazing. We had MUFON there, Arizona and Phoenix MUFON, um, and, and many, many more. Um, but, yeah, we do. It's about three, two days or three days, depending on the, the dates and the weekend. But um, it's a lot of fun. Imagine, imagine a Comic-Con, the fun of a Comic-Con, uh -huh. and the, the educational benefit of a UFO Congress. And so you got the sitting there and you're listening. But you have – you can come dressed up because we do costume contests. And <laughs> – cool. uh, and we've got comic book collectors. We even, this last year, we had two tattoo chairs with two tattoo artists. Nice. And I thought they might get one or two guys or girls to, to do it. No. They had people lined up all day long just doing tattoos. Wow. And um, so I made a deal. I said, if you guys come back, I said, anybody that gets my Disclosure Con logo character on their arm, uh, they get VIP pass every year for the rest of their lives, <laughs> you know, because that's that's a lifelong commitment. So, and it's got to be done at at the event by one of the artists. So, uh, yeah, we have fun. And when you go to events, you normally get like a little a brochure, well, uh, of, of you know, like a sheet, a timesheet of everything. Uh huh. When you go, when you come to Disclosure Con, the entire event, all the, the lecturers, the speakers, the sponsors, everything are all cartooned into the Disclosure Con comic book. 
Nice. And, and you go in and it has an X and a line for each uh, speaker. So you get to go see. It's all a psychological game. I'm playing with everybody. I'm, I'm, I'm forcing them now. They've got this. They're all collectors. Like, I like comic books. But they like lectures and the UFO stuff. So here's something with a line and an X under their picture and bio. They, it makes them go, I got to go get a signature. I got to get everybody's signature. Now the, the, the viewers, the listeners, the fans are interacting with the lectures or the speakers. And it's, it's bringing it down on a more human level, not where they're up on this ivory tower. Right. You know, I know there's some out there that would like being up on the ivory tower, but yeah, you know, I most of us, we're just humans. We, we've all got our medical issues, you know, you know, or, or we've all got, you know, our, our, our personal family lives and, and our money issues, but we just happen to be in front of a camera or on a microphone. Yeah. And we've got some spare time to jibber jabber, you know, and we, we get some really cool people. Um, that's, that's, that's really it. There's nothing magical. Like people going up to Jesus to touch his cloak, like his <laughs> magic is going to rub off on you, which, well, of course, in Jesus, it did work in that case, but you know what I'm saying? Like with stars and rock stars, Oh, I'm reaching out. I got to touch your sweat. Elvis, <laughs> give me your sweat. You know, there's, it, there's nothing magical in it. Right. Um, we, we we all have to take a shower and put our clothes on like everybody else. Yep. It's not Eddie Murphy and coming to America for everyone that's on camera. <laughs> uh, people are dressing us and stuff. So, all right. Okay. All right. We got people in the chat that are like, we got to go to bed. Sorry. Maybe in like uh, two months, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll reach out to Dr. Brooks. Maybe you can too. And, uh, you know, and uh, we'll set something up for a joint show together. I think that would be cool. Maybe one of these days, you know, in the future, we'll get to meet my friend. You seem like a real down to earth, cool dude. Uh, well, know. I'll I'll have you at DisclosureCon because a big thing about DisclosureCon is I bring podcasters from around the country. So they sometimes can't always stream live, but they can upload at the hotel room later that day mm-hmm. uh, because the podcasters are what I believe are bringing on Disclosure. Yeah. You know, we're the ones because we don't have Big Brother over our shoulder telling us what to say, what not to say. Right. And I'm a couple things in one. Plus, I'm an independent Mars researcher with a lot of, you know, things I could show and talk about also regards to Mars and uh, fascinating things to be seen there. Uh, As well as, shit, I'll even do live shows if I have the capability. Why not? Yeah. You know, but well, uh, yeah, I look up forward to that. That would be cool. I uh, will maybe come on. Just, just call me, and I will be on. All right, Doc. So yeah, it's been fun, and I think this was a cool icebreaker show. And uh, I take it you will be on again. <laughs> and well, uh, thank you very much. We'll take it from there. All right. Well, you have a good night, sir, and uh, thank you very much for being on, especially at the Christmas. And uh, I'm glad you're feeling well. It sounds like you're feeling better anyway. Hopefully. As it comes and goes. Yes, yes. But uh, all right, so we'll talk soon, sir. All right, just remember, as long as we all lift each other up, we will all rise together. Indeed. Good night, everybody. All right, good night, sir. All right, so there you go. There's Doc Skinner there. Pretty cool guest, man. Knowledgeable, a lot of things that puts him in a position on this new timeline as we make our fate. I'm telling you. All this is reality. All this is real, where we're going, one show at a time. But people think I'm crazy. But again, the end results are what's going to prove. And those who are listening down through time already know the value of it. You know, it's all depending on perspective. But uh, other than that, 
you know, I don't know, man, where to go? There's so many different things that we were touching base on and covering. One thing's for sure I think uh, all you listeners should realize is that something is amiss. We're not alone. Something's going on. Our government and potentially other governments are in knowledge of this. Secret space programs, I don't know, Masonic, uh, controlled space programs, I don't know, but, you know, definitely, like, alluding to last week with S.W.O.R.D., and I already got a reach out that uh, he would like to set up another show, so we may be in the works of that. No dates were given yet or whatnot. But, again, i like to know more of the S.W.O.R.D. and all these other crafts because now so submarine-type class crafts that we're hearing about that kind of, you know, that, that gives credence to things he was saying, especially last week regarding the Kevin Arnold's uh, witness and testimony of those craft and what they actually turned out to be. And, you know, even by looking at them on Google, Google Images, yeah, they looked like the craft that was described by Arnold. So, but again, we know from Swartz's perspective what it is not. So... You know, that's pretty amazing, and we need to learn all the more about what that is as well as many other things he's privy in the knowledge about. Uh, what I believe his objective was, at least originally, we won't get into that fight now or in a tale of two captains again or anything like that, but he seems like to be a person that wants to get these truths out. And for all we know, again, nothing's coincidence. Doc Skin is here to bring people together. Again, everything has its purpose. So I watch each show as if I'm studying or doing a culture on something myself as the, as a principal investigator. And uh, I was told faith really matters. I got to believe. I got to believe. And I'm believing because all I know is that we're on a world that turns till next week.